All right, welcome back. Episode 59 of the Young Old Heads podcast. I'm your host, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards. And I'm here, I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max. I don't even know edition. Cards Max, Cards Max, Backyard Breaks is not a hoax edition, Max. How are you doing? I'm doing, I feel like I just won a gold kaboom Trevor Lawrence in a free giveaway and it's being donated to charity. That's how I'm doing. And, you know, we're here with the gold Trevor Lawrence kaboom of hobby Twitter accounts, runners, (laughs) man who needs no introduction, but I will give him one anyway. Um, Eric Whiteback at Eric Whiteback slash the collectibles guru on Twitter. I don't know. I don't use other social medias too much, Eric. You can tell people where to follow you on other places, but appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, this is uh, it's been a long time coming. I'm excited to be here. And man, the, the gold kaboom of Twitter accounts, the gold kaboom Trevor Lawrence of Twitter accounts. I'm like not sure if that's a compliment or what that is. I'm like trying to I'm trying to piece that together right now. I think it's up uh, to it's. I think that's the perfect analogy that it's entirely what the listener interprets it as, especially if they were <laughs> behind that. It's like, yeah, why would a gold kaboom Trevor Lawrence be a negative? Hey, uh, I don't know if I if you follow Eric, you know that certain cards drop in price significantly on a on a very <laughs> short timeline. Sometimes, uh, you if you have a Twitter account, me and Max are the unofficial podcast of Hobby Twitter, as we like to say. Love it. Um, you've definitely seen Eric's tweets. He's always you know going viral with some capacity. Whether um, you like it or not, you're going to see his tweets. Yeah, whether you like it or not, whether you mute him or not, with the changes going on at Twitter slash X or whatever, um, it's always a good time. But Eric, uh, we like to give everyone who's on the podcast an opportunity to kind of give their collecting story, ending with how you got to where you are now. Um, give the people the background that they want to know. Yeah, totally. I can uh, I can definitely get into that. I'll try not to go too long here, but. Um, you know, basically my introduction to collecting is I was four years old and was going to the all-star fan fest. My dad worked at Hershey foods. They were a sponsor of the MLB. So, you know, I'm like the four-year-old kid walking around fan fest with a sponsor badge. And I was just like getting handed free packs and stuff. And it was like my first real introduction to sports cards. I maybe had a few packs of Pokemon cards before that, like every other kid. But, um, that was my first introduction to sports cards and very quickly, um, just was enamored by it. And then it was to the point where, you know, my parents would have me doing chores and they'd have a pack of cards like up, you know, up above the fridge that I couldn't reach. And once I did all my chores, they'd like pull one card out of the pack and hand it to me. And just like over time, I just uh, fell in love with it. I was uh, born and raised in central Pennsylvania. My dad was from South Jersey. Uh, so we were Philly sports fans through and through. And I was a big Phillies fan. And so um, spent a lot of time just collecting pretty much any Phillies card that I could find. Um, and then got to a point when I don't know, maybe like early teens when I figured out I could like find the checklist of every Philadelphia Philly ever to have a certified autograph card. And so but, then uh, my what years are we talking here? What years are we talking? Um, I mean, I was buying a lot like 0809, which is probably the worst time to buy Phillies cards. Um, because you know, I'm like just overpaying for guys like Utley Rollins and Howard and guys that I like love and still collect to this day. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't like, these weren't big investment plays for me back then. Right. <laughs> um, so I was just buying like all that stuff that I could find and um, was trying to get one certified autograph card of every Philly to ever have a certified autograph card. And I was working through it and I was like getting like relatively close, but then there were these sets with like 
you know, 30 different one of ones. I think it was like 06 top Sterling had like all these Philadelphia Phillies one of one cut autographs. And I'm like, ah, this, this thing like can't even be completed. Um, and so like I was buying and I just sort of slowed down buying and then eventually got to a point where I was like, Hey, I don't think this collection is going to be completed. I don't think it's going to go up in value. I also funny enough, collected like a ton of 07 sweet spot. Um, which is like, you know, it's good. I sold all that stuff because all the autographs have faded off of all those cards over the years. Um, yeah. so I sold like all my sweet spot cards. I sold all my Phillies cards and I took that money. And I, at the time was really interested in this brand called Supreme, um, and sort of knew enough about them and knew enough about marketing tactics in general to understand that they did not sort of accidentally fall in the place that they were in. Um, they had, they were this brand with this cult following, um, where you could basically buy anything off their web shop and sell it for double. Um, and it was like a fun and interesting time and I was really interested in what they were doing. So I took all that money and basically started getting into Supreme and sneakers and streetwear and things like that. Um, I took a few years off from cards. There was a little bit in there where I was like, funny enough, I was really a big fan of, you know, Sam Hinkey, trust the process era Sixers. And so like oh, after yeah. the, after the second foot injury, I actually bought a lot of Embiid. Um, and I wish I held it longer, but like I had his select one of one rookie autograph. I had, um, I think I had a couple NTRPAs. I had like some nice stuff of him. Um, I flipped it, you know, probably in like his second season where he was actually playing well and probably like three, four X on it and did well. But like if I held it, it would have been 30 or 40 X. Um, but anyway, during that time, you know, was more so into Supreme and sneakers and learning that whole space and um, got to a point though where I was just working in that industry like 24 seven and was getting burned out. It's like, man, how many times can you see that like Supreme box logo on something before you're just like, Oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. Right. So yeah. I was at that point and, uh, my fiance came to me she was just my, she was my girlfriend at the time, but she came to me. She's like, Hey, you need a hobby. And I'm like hobby. Yes. I know this word. Right. Like, and this was right around the time. This was just a few months pre pandemic. I was tied in with Gary V and his team. And obviously he was, you know, all excited about cards at the time and trying to get me involved. And so like every noob getting back into it, I bought a few boxes of 2019 prison basketball and started there and ripped those and then was buying and flipping a bunch of stuff. And then COVID hit and I'm, you know, uh, just sort of locked away in quarantine. And I'm just like buying every, you know, bull bull card I could get my hands on funny enough. And I, uh, I, I flipped them in, in good time. I, I got rid of them and made money on them, but, uh, it's just funny how like getting back into it, the things that you gravitate towards right away when you've been out of the game for a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, so I actually, you know, it was just, I fell back in love with the industry entirely after a few years off and was just, you know, up until like 3 a.m. on eBay every night looking at stuff, trying to learn more, trying to figure out things. Um, and, you know, back when I really collected as a kid, like there weren't soccer cards like there are today. Um, and I'm I'm a soccer player and played in college and have played my whole life and I'm a fan of the game. And so like for me, it was really exciting to see like, oh, hey, there's this like growing market around one of the sports that I really love that like sort of didn't exist before. And so I was dabbling in like, you know, what would it look like to try to start a business here? Where do I think there's the biggest opportunity? Is it, you know, is it in manufacturing? Is it in software? Is it in supplies? Is it in grading? Like, where could I start a company that would be interesting? And so I ultimately got to the point where, and I think this is the point that Fanatics got to too, is, and, and realized like there's been so little innovation in manufacturing and, and like tops Panini. These guys are incumbents that have innovated very little in the last 20 to 30 years. I feel like I could make a card company and actually compete with these guys. And so... I had some connections in the venture capital world. I had my pitch deck together. I had a few investors lined up to invest in the company, some that you would know by name, and uh, then got introduced to the people who bought Golden Auctions. 
got to pitch them and they were like, Hey, this is cool, but our minimum investment's like $25 million. And I'm like, I need like, you know, 2% of that. Um, but they said, Hey, we just bought golden. We'd love to introduce you to the new CEO there. Maybe they'd be interested in investing in this as R and D off their balance sheet. And so I took this to golden. They were like, Hey, this is really cool. We're not in a place to invest, but what would it take to get you to work for us? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm okay. I'm good. Um, and after saying no for a few months, they like eventually just made me an offer that I almost had to take. Um, and so I did. And then I was working at golden for a little over a year. I ran their socials. We took them from, I think like 10,000 across all socials to about a quarter million uh, a year later when I left. Um, and then I just, I left mostly because we built this social media platform for them to be one of the, one of the really great pieces of the business. Right. But then what happened because of that is all these like consignment directors were selling against it. And it was like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, so-and-so we'll give you a post on Instagram if you give us your card. Right. And so then like, what happened was it got to a point where they said, hey, like you're going to do six posts on Instagram a day. Five of them are going to be delivered to you and you can like choose what the sixth one is, right? And so I'm kind of like, I get it. I understand it. You want to like get the most value out of this thing, but I don't need to be here for that. So I'm just going to sort of walk away. And it was like totally amicable. I have tons of friends there still. I'm still tight with Ken. Um, and it was like a great time and great experience that I had there, but I think it was the right time for me to walk away. And I just kind of decided like, hey, I think I can do this on my own. And um, make a splash on my own. And obviously there's red tape with businesses and um, things you have to be really careful about when running a business account that you don't have to be so careful about when you run your own account. So I just saw that as an opportunity. I took a few months off in between, just realized like, man, I've been on screen. Like my screen time is like 12, 13 hours a day. I'm like I need a few months off. Um, so I took a few months off and then probably about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago now, started doing content around collectibles and, and trading cards. And um, yeah, I still love it. I still buy a ton of stuff. We can talk about what I'm into and what I collect later, but that's sort of how we get to this interview today. Well, that was easily the most succinct and uh, obviously you have the microphone and best sounding collecting story that we've gotten so far, <laughs> Max, before I ask my follow-up questions, do you have any that you need to get out? Yeah, that was just like a mini bibliography. Tommy, I'll let you go first. <laughs> well, first of all, you weren't buying Freddie Adu cards back in the day. Come on, everyone. That I remember he had some inserts and some baseball card packs. I want to say like 04 or 05. And I got one of them one time and I mm -hmm. literally freaked out. I was like, this, That's is, pretty funny. this is the card. Like, hang on to this one with my LeBron SI Kids high school card. Yeah, those yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. those are going to make me rich. Who knows what? Freddie Adu, they said he debuted at like 14, but he was probably actually like 18. Like, I don't know what the exact <laughs> situation was. But yeah, funny enough, I did uh, I did recently buy and sell a, uh, I think it's 2004 Upper Deck. Freddie Adu, I want to say, is his rookie. Um, yeah. So yeah, you're you're on the money there. Freddie Adu, man. That's a, that's a throwback. Um, yes, that was my one soccer. You said they weren't making soccer cards. There were some soccer cards out there. Um, there were there but, were some, but there weren't like these sets with like, I mean, it was it was it was really only MLS, right? And like even those yeah. sets didn't have like parallels and numbered cards. There'd be like maybe an autograph card somewhere in the set that was like numbered, but it was just it's it's not what it is today. No, no, not at all. Um, but just to like round out full circle here, what do you do? Like what what is a day? <laughs> what is like a Monday in your life like? Like what do you do? Well, today's Monday, so let's see what did I do today. Um, no, I mean I. Every day looks a little bit different. I think that's like one of the things about being entrepreneurial is like you never know exactly what your day is going to look like. There's pros and cons of that. It's like awesome to have freedom to be like, hey, I want to like, you know, me and my fiance want to go do something for the day. Like I can go do it. But then it's also like I joke that I have a hard boss because I'm often working until late at night and, um, you know, trying to find 
new angles and new stories and new exciting things to talk about. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot of my, a lot of my days in content creation and planning, um, just trying to figure out, you know, what stories to latch onto and just researching various things in, in collectibles categories. I'm meeting with a lot of companies to talk about ways that we could partner and do things together. Um, and I probably still spend at least an hour a day on eBay. So there's that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's, it's hard to say what exactly a typical day looks like, but maybe that gives you, maybe that gives you a little sense. What is a collectibles guru? Man, darned if I know. Right. Who... That is that's what you claim to be, though. <laughs> what that is, is what you claim to be. be hey, so let me let me like tell you why I went with that because I yeah. I think it's like, you know, you'd be like, why don't you just use your name? And the re the real reason I did that was I realized right away that when you like go and type in the word collectibles on any social network, like almost nothing comes up and there's no one that comes up. So basically all I wanted to do is like, I believe in collectibles long-term. It's a category that I want to bet on. So I want to be the first thing that comes up when people type in the word collectibles. That's why I like switched over to that. It's not like it was, it was more like a branding play and like a marketing, like, you know, social hack than it was just like something of like, Oh yeah, like I'm the man, you know, it wasn't yeah, like, I mean, so much that like was, that. That was kind of my thinking when I went with cards, Max, I was like, all right, this is going to be a placeholder name, but, at least for now, I'm gonna have cards. Yeah. Now, if like now, if I switched it, like imagine the pandemonium, right? If I if I went from like the the collectibles guru to like the collectibles guy, people are like, ah, oh, he's not a guru. Yeah. He finally realized it. <laughs> like you know. So what? I don't want to. If there's any other motive besides financial, what made you want to? In I mean, in your own words, produce content because you obviously have a very expansive marketing background, both in your own individual success with Supreme. And as well as growing all of Golden Socials, but I, it'd be improper to say that your success on Twitter and other socials has been coordinated, because obviously you generated it all yourself, and I'm not going to take you away from that. But it was also very—I don't want to say sudden—but you yeah, knew how to grow fair. it. What made you want to grow it in the first place? What made you want to be a collectibles authority? Because your content is very, your content is very authoritative in mm -hmm. news. And, you know, it doesn't seem like you want to be a newscaster or anything. You break the news, <laughs> you give your analysis. What is your purpose here besides money? Um, and by here, I, I mean in this space. No, totally. I get it. I mean, I think part of my purpose in this is I love this. And mm -hmm. if I'm going to have to spend nine, 10, 12 hours a day working on something, I want it to be something that I love. Right. And this is an industry that, I totally love and I have ambitions to do really cool and exciting things in and um, you know what what sort of better way than to build that on my own through a way where yes I can monetize it and yes I have freedom and yes I can build a brand off of it at some point if I want to so I think that's more so the motivation I mean I I feel like I could probably build a following and just about any category that I really wanted to if I put my mind to it and, and learned that category enough um, but this is the category that I like the most and one that I'm super passionate about and have loved for a really, really long time. And so um, I also think too, I felt like there weren't really too many authoritative voices in the industry. And I don't mean that as like a slant at anyone like Ken or Nat or whoever, like those guys are totally geniuses, super smart, savvy businessmen that know the industry like the back of their hand, but like they also are running their own businesses, right? So when like, Golden gets a really big card and like that's the card that Ken has to talk about and if Ken thinks that like Tops or Panini is doing something silly like he can't really go and say that publicly right so I just like being in that place where I can talk about 
things honestly and openly and not have like special interests so much. Um, and I just felt like that was a little bit of a void too. So, I mean, the short answer to your question is if I'm going to have to work on something, I want it to be something I love. And this is something I love. I just feel like you barely break the fourth wall, fourth wall. I mean, I'd love to see more personal Ben or personal Eric, <laughs> you know, and I mean, obviously you do you, you run your account however you want, but I think part of what some, and I'm not speaking for me, it probably for other people, but some, you know, Ben, you know, Eric White back haters is like, oh, this guy is just here to be the authoritative content and that's it and get his affiliates, get his clicks or whatever, get his partnerships and then move on. And it's great that you have that love for collecting and I'm not going to distance myself from it. I love making money. I love buying. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with making money. Hard, I'm not that. <laughs> I, I always like buy myself too. Like, oh my gosh, like I just want to make more money so I can buy more cards. Like I find myself doing that all the time. That's that's the name of the game in so, in some capacity. Um, Sorry, I totally like I totally cut you off yeah. there. I just got excited. No, you're fine. But I think some people do view you as this goblin who's just here to sap the coins out of someone's hard-earned wallet. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that you're wrong about some of that perception. Um, I have, to your point, kind of like distanced myself from the content. Like I, I've tried not to make the content too much about myself. Um, even a lot of times too, like I don't post a ton of opinions. I probably have a lot of opinions, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't post a lot of them. Like even when I post opinions, it's kind of like more subtly and I make you infer something and I do it through facts where it's like the most expensive, you know, Jason Dominguez card of all time versus the most expensive, like Alex Rodriguez card of all time. Right. And I just like state facts, but then you're like, Oh, like, you know, one of the digs on me was like, Oh, this guy hates modern cards. He's just super anti-modern. I'm like, dude, if you looked at my stinking portfolio of like all of where my money is invested, like 70% of my net worth is an ultra modern trading card. So like that is not the case. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think like, you know, there's a part of me that realizes too, it's okay to have some controversy around you. Like, I don't want controversy that offends people. I don't want controversy that does anything that, that like has victims, so to speak. Um, but I think it's like part of what makes things go viral is when they're cool and controversial simultaneously. Like I said, not controversial in the way of like offending someone, but like this is why ESPN always airs the LeBron versus Jordan debate. It's cool. It's controversial. There's not a definitive answer in it. Right. And so like, I don't mind playing that a little bit. Um, and it's like, you know, I feel like if I just spent time responding to people that hated on things that I did, it would be like, it would take a lot of time and effort and energy away from other things that are way more important. I have this quote, um, that I always like to use. There's actually two. One is, um, don't wrestle with pigs. You get dirty and they love it. And so that's like how I think about internet trolls It's like, they just want you to wrestle with them and then you get sort of dirty and like they're happy and you're dirty. And that's how it always ends. Like no matter what you do. And the other one I think is, I want to say this is like mother Teresa, maybe I'm wrong, but it's, uh, she said, if my critics saw me walking on water, they'd say it's because I can't swim. And so it's like, you know, I can like, I can hold some of these things in my head at the same time where I'm like, um, you know, sure. I'd love to convert some of these people, but at the same time, like, I'm not going to go out of my way to like, just try to appease every single person in the world. I'm going to stick to what I know works and try to use my time on the most, you know, sort of valuable things and, and the most valuable efforts. Do you want, is your goal in terms of running your socials to just share your perspectives with cardboard or collectibles rather is to share your perspective with collectibles or is it just to go viral with correct collectibles? Um, because you're talking about, you know, in order for a post to go viral, it needs this component or in order, 
or you need these consumers to fill in the blank with it and comment it and like it and to generate that traction. Yeah, I mean, I, I think- entire, um, Yeah, I don't want to say, is your entire social social media existence just virality? It's, it's not just for virality. I mean, obviously that's a portion of it, right? Like I'm trying to grow this thing to be as big as possible. I want to share this industry with as many people as possible. And like- That's I, not my priority. Or yeah. I think most other consumers of yours is priority. Yeah, totally. And like, it is a priority. It's not the priority. If it was the priority, like I would cause more controversy. I'd cause more drama. I'd go and mix it up with people. I'd go and like pick fights. Like that type of stuff I know would go incredibly viral. And I think it's like, I think it's part of why there's this perception around me that there's like, you know, some part of the industry that like really dislikes me is I, there were a few people that like had decent followings that just would do like rage bait content about me and they would know it would get all the clicks and it'd be like their most viewed tweets. Right. And so they would just keep doing it. It would also be a little funny, like in fairness. Like, yeah. Like, dude, I, so I, dude, I'm good with like some self-deprecating humor, like people poking fun at me is like, great. Like I have no problem with that. I poke fun at myself all the time. There was some stuff that like definitely crossed the line and wasn't meant to be like funny or fun and like personal attacks, which is, you know, yeah, kind of kind of weird but um yeah i mean i don't know that's that's just kind of how i think about it i respect it and what i've heard eric is that you are a marketing marketing man uh <laughs> through and through uh your name is picked because of seo juice basically you can own that <laughs> own that name a little bit more than anyone else can you can get ahead of the game uh you very famously enter the young old head sphere when you dropped your bit about your odds breakdown for backyard breaks that mm -hmm. um, I was sitting in the Ludex office as basically leading their marketing part of things and going like, this dude's a genius. Like if I was backyard <laughs> breaks, this is like, I bet you backyard breaks had more website visits ever before the day that you put that out. Yeah. Because if I was a breaking company and I was running the marketing for a breaking company, I think the all time best story you could have run these, about these you guys is choose product. Yeah, yeah, is that they get juiced product. So I heard that. I heard some other ramblings about you're kind of early on this game at that point. Um, I think Max was like, oh, this dude works for Golden. I'm like, I remember wow, like seeing some conspiracy theory from you guys about how like oh, I'm like some rogue Golden employee and I'm still on the payroll and then no one knows it. And it's like this whole like shtick. And I, I sent it to a few of my buddies and we were just getting a kick out of it. Um, but yeah, like, dude, I've I've never received a dime from Backyard Breaks. I'm friends with those guys. I think people think that I hate them. I don't particularly like the way they do a lot of their content. Like, it's not for me. Like, I don't, I, if I'm going to break, I prefer for it to be more chill and straightforward and just yeah. buy a box of what I want and open it rather than like buy into some sort of casino, like pick your card, pick, buy two, pick three, whoever it works, and like then pay into a huge NFL break and have guys ripping their shirt off on camera while they pull it. But like, it's not for me. I'm not going to like hate on it and say there's anything wrong with it. It's just not the type of content that I prefer. But yeah, like I, I'm friends with those guys. I think people think I hate them, which is kind of Were funny. Were you friends like, with them at the time? I wasn't, I didn't know them at all at the time. No. And it wasn't well, like- friends with them. Because usually uh, I, obviously they took the marketing opportunity and they went with it. But mm -hmm. I feel like the usual perception is if someone is attacking another person's brand, it usually isn't amicable. Well, yeah, but the thing is, I think that's like where it took on a little bit of a life of its own is I don't feel like I attacked them. I only spoke facts in the entire thing. At no point did I go and give any opinion. I just gave a pure mathematical analysis, right? And so I wasn't like, I wasn't like, screw backyard breaks. These guys suck. This is like the worst. Like I never said anything like that. Well, that'd be and like saying like, if Tommy has like a 2.0 GPA, flunked out of community college and doesn't have a job, I'm not criticizing him. 
But those, based <laughs> off those numbers, those are some pretty big implications that you can infer from that of why I'm saying that. Yeah, but the other thing that I did too is like I was also very careful to call out like if there is something going on here, that does not mean that Backyard Breaks is doing anything wrong. They might not even know they'd be getting juice boxes. And if there is something going on here at the Panini level, it might not really be their fault. It could be so much as one rogue employee in the warehouse doing anything. So like I didn't want to push like, you know, the blame on anyone it, that ever did. It's, yeah. it's maybe this is your craft is suggesting it enough to where people can make the very surface level implications from what you're trying to suggest. And then they take those suggestions and run with it. And even though you technically didn't say it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, there's, yeah, there, you're like there is there is some and there's nothing wrong with art. That. There is some art to that. Yeah, totally. And like, but at the same time, I'm I am very careful with the words that I choose. And I was like, I was always responding to people like, hey, like this doesn't mean they did anything wrong. This doesn't mean they did anything wrong. And I was trying to like cover my bases. But like, you know, do I do I still honestly think that something sketchy happened there at some level? Like I do, just based on the math and the numbers. Um, but like. Uh, who am I to point a finger at who did what, when, and where it all went wrong? I have, I have no idea. What spurred and, the friendship? Wait, um, hold up. Hold up. Okay. We, I, we don't need to I'm get into the, the personal relationship with Backyard Breaks, Max. <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit more. I will let you get back to this if you, okay. if you feel like it's necessary at the end. But Eric, you, you, you're doing a great that job of presenting what you do it. as very impartial um, and very, you know, you're growing the hobby or whatever you want to say, but I think that there's a certain criticism that is valid and how you present things. And, you know, there's an art to going viral and there's an art of presenting facts and there's an art of presenting facts in a way to make them go viral where the facts lose some of the factualness is a, a way that I kind of phrased it in my head where, <laughs> you know, you'll put, you know, the highest selling card for this player is this the highest selling card for this player is this but i think there's a whole lot lost in those messages about cards mainly just like hey. well yeah there there definitely is right like i think <laughs> if we were going to talk about why the most expensive anthony volpe card sold for more than the most expensive alex rodriguez card and talk about all the reasons that that happened that's like that's not a five paragraph essay. That's like a five chapter book, right? Like, so, so like, like, yeah, of course, not everything I'm saying has all the context. It, it never will. There's so much context and so much background that goes into this stuff. And like, if I wanted to go and write like a, you know, a lengthy piece about it, I guess I could. It's just like, not really what I do, if that makes sense. Yeah, you, you go viral and, you know, I think there are people who will write the 10 page, 10, five plus paragraph essay about something that's maybe more of me and Max's realm here of going on. Yeah, that's what long form is too. That... Totally, yeah. totally. And I just yeah. don't do long. That's not what I'm doing right now. I'm just not doing long form. I would love to if I had the bandwidth to do it, but. And uh, yeah, no, long form is fun. Me and Max have a lot of fun just like really talking through things. And I think that's kind of where we see our space in the, in the, war in the collectible world is kind of in this long form, having fun, having conversations, talk about shit. Basically, the thesis for young old heads is to have a podcast that you can listen to while you sort your cards for an hour or two a week. Nice. Uh, you don't have to be doing it all the time. We're not a sports analysis podcast. I think a lot of the content and the hobby is very focused on, you know, who do you think is going to win MVP? It's like that's yeah. ESPN. Yeah. This is not that's not necessarily cards. And you can't really learn about cards by listening to those sorts of conversations. Um, but, you know, Max clearly did not listen to the Eric Whiteback, White, Whiteback manifesto video on YouTube where you 
you, you laid out what you th you want your you know your goals with this and it, one of them was to be a trusted authoritarian voice authoritative voice in the hobby and to be the person and this stuck with me clearly to, to be the person that goes on msnbc when a big card is sold so do you think that there is i, I mean i already you clearly don't think that there's anything wrong with what you're doing. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with how you're getting there, but like, do you, do you feel like you are that person? Do you feel like you know enough about <laughs> the industry to be the person that goes on MSNBC when the hottest Wagner sells for $10 million or whatever? All, all valid questions. So, um, am I the world's single foremost expert on collectibles? No, like I'm, de I'm definitely not. Um, am I the world's single foremost expert on social media? No, I'm not the single best, right? But like, I'm, I would put myself top, a, a decently top percentile in both. And I think what's rare is to have some of that combination. And I think an analogy that I would make is, um, is Woj the world's smartest basketball analyst? Like, I don't know that he's the world's smartest basketball analyst. Is he the world's best social media person? I don't know that he is. I think he just found a strategy in a lane that works for him and allowed him to be the person that goes on ESPN when there's trades that go down, right? And um, I'm pretty comfortable on camera. I'm pretty comfortable in interviews. I think these are all things that make sense for me to be one of those people. I'm impartial. I, I don't have special interests. And so like, am I the single best person in the world to do all these things? No, I'm definitely not. Do I make mistakes? Like all the time. I say stupid stuff all the time. Like I'm so passionate about this. Of course, some of that's going to boil over into saying something stupid or like, you know, posting something that is a bad take or whatever. Right. And like, I accept that and that's, and that's fine. But, um, you know, I, I think that I would be good at it. I think it could be a good thing for everyone. And I'm trying to push the industry forward in those ways. And like some of it's already happened and it's been, re it's been really cool and exciting. Like there was the ESPN article about box breaks and like, they called me to get a quote and there was the wall street journal say the wall street journal article about the one ring. And they called me to get a quote and I just had an interview with NPR two days ago. Like it's all like really cool and exciting stuff. And yeah, like, am I the single best person to talk, especially like for, I don't know, like early 1900s baseball cards am i the foremost expert like no you guys know way more than me about like you know t206 backs and like all this stuff like you guys would smoke me in that realm right but it's just like i'm i'm trying to be someone that can go and talk about these things and it's like it's the same way as like is max kellerman the world's best analyst is stephen a smith the world's best analyst like no these guys aren't they're they know their craft they're good at their craft they're smart enough to get by and they're entertainers and i think like i'm some combination of those things i'm i'm not number one at any of those things. And it's just like something I love and a, and a goal. So um, I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does a little bit. Um, I think it gives a window into kind of what your, your goals are and what, what you think you're good at, which I think is very ins inside, inside of to, you know, knowing who you are as a person, but um, something that I want to just quickly address a couple of the bigger concerns with you eric on twitter at least because <laughs> me and max love twitter we're addicted to yep. twitter i've been since we were before puberty probably for the worst um but you know one one way to make something go viral um as someone who's run social media for a company before is just to copy people um see what is going viral and then more or less copy and paste it into what you're doing um I know there's people who are now doing this to your tweets, um, which I think is quite, quite funny, but you have been criticized for, you know, posting other people's hits 
other interesting things that are going on that other people have posted first. Yeah, um, totally. Twitter has a nice little retweet button that I like to use a lot. Uh, hmm. Why why don't you use that button? Do you have anything you want to apologize for? Or like in general, like what is your strategy with reposting other people's content? So um, I think what part of what I would say to that is like there are thousands, if not millions of like aggregator accounts that they're out there that exist, like mood board accounts and like from my sort of past life in sneakers, it's like Lil Jupiter and like Hidden NY. And like, these aren't accounts that are making original content, but they they aggregate things in a really cool way. And they're sort of like curators. Um, and that's how I think about some of that. I'm gonna answer some of your other questions here too. So uh, one of your questions is, why don't I just use the retweet button? If I took that philosophy from the beginning, we would not be having this conversation whatsoever. If all I did was just retweet other people's tweets, like we would, like you wouldn't be interviewing me, right? So, like, there's a part of it there, and I think um, when you retweet something, this is getting like a little bit granular, but algorithmically, when you retweet something, it doesn't send it to nearly as many people as if you make an original tweet. It just doesn't. It's it's maybe that's a fault in the algorithm. I don't know, but that's the reality of it. If I go and retweet a tweet it might push it to 10,000 extra people. And if I go and make an original tweet, it might push it to 100,000 or a million people. Um, and that's that's my experience with retweeting. And also it's oftentimes when I see a tweet, it's like there's something cool about it, but I'm like, mm, if you just reworded it and crafted it in this way, and if you crop the photo this way, like it would be like a sort of way better performing piece of content. And, like, and then I'll do that. And then I'm tagging the person who made the original post. <laughs> like, and that's, you know, and there's, it's like, a we're, we, now I know what, what we're going to get into is like, well, when do you tag people and when do you don't? I kind of feel like there's a, <laughs> there's there's some examples that like, like you almost have to go like example by example on some of it. But I do feel like in general, like when someone is creating a piece of content and I know who made that piece of content, I'm always tagging that person like in the tweet when I make the tweet. Like I almost always am without fail. And then there's times where like, I don't know where the post is from. It's a screenshot from my camera roll from three years ago, or it's like something that's been circulated on 50 accounts and I find it and I don't know who it's from and I tweet it. Or it's like a picture from an eBay listing or something I scraped off of card ladder from five years ago or an old golden auction, right? So it's like, there's times when it's like dicey and you don't know. And then there's times when it's like someone says something somewhat similar, but like, where do you credit them or it's like do they have a twitter account like when do you credit them and i feel like if you actually go tweet by tweet for the last like six months of everything that i've done you'll see that i'm pretty much tagging people like all the time when and where it's relevant um and part of like part of this thing that came up before was i think it was midwest box breaks pulled like a julio rodriguez super fractor and i tagged him in the photo instead of in the caption and he was like really upset by this if you just would have like sent me a dm and been like hey like you know i really appreciate if you did this like whatever cool like it would have been it, it would have been fine but he sort of like went on a he, got, he was upset and he went on this sort of like mission to get people to unfollow and block and say that i steal content all the time and it's like i tagged him in the photo i just like i don't know i i feel like to me in my background in social media like tagging someone in the photo is enough there were a few people that thought otherwise i'm like okay fine like I'm happy to switch that. I'll tag in the caption. I don't care. Like, and that's what I do. Like every time I post a card that someone pulled now, like you'll see I'm tagging that person every time, unless they don't have Twitter. Then I just say their company name by name. Right. Do you so block anyone ever. What's that? Do you ever block anyone? No, never. Why not? Um, 
I like open dialogue. It's, uh, I think too, I try to give a very small circle of people the power to make me mad. Um, and I'm always open for a conversation. And if there's people that don't like something that I do or are upset by something that I've done, which like, to be candid, I think too, has been you guys at sometimes, right? Where you're like, ah, like yeah, this is stupid or this is lame or how dare you say this, right? Like, and we're having a conversation together and it's cool. Like, and if we did this all the time, we'd probably be like three best friends, right? So like, what, I don't know, why am I going to go like block someone and make it personal? Like, I, I don't do that. I, I never, I never block anyone. I respect that. Um, I don't know if I'd say, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't say, Eric, that you are without fail holding to all these things that you say that you've done. Cause you know, you say in the last six months, yeah, I think, I think when you, oh, started, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. Yeah, I'm not perfect. Sure. Totally, totally yeah. not. I'm not perfect, but I'm trying my best. And like, dude, it's like, do I miss one from time to time where it's like, yeah, like, I'm I don't, not, like I, I don't think the tagging of, are you tagging, you being irresponsible tagging others? is really that big of an issue in the first place and if it is it definitely isn't a big issue now because you are pretty diligent if anything overly diligent and make sure you you don't skip a beat in yeah i'm trying to like now there was like like an example is like there's one the other day where it's like i posted a photo of um i think it was she breaks like holding a mac jones gold vinyl prism card and i just captioned it like you know which quarterbacks are undervalued in the nfl right now and like some people got really upset that like I posted a photo from she breaks and I didn't like tag that it was from them. And I'm like, this was an old screenshot in my camera roll. She, and it's not I don't, even, Twitter. I don't, I don't think she has Twitter. I could have posted any photo of any card there. It wouldn't have changed how the content performed. I just went to my camera roll and found the first picture of a QB. And then like, you know, it's like people get upset by it. And I think like part of my question too, is like, like, okay, yes, I'm not perfect. I'm trying to tag people as best I can. But at the end of the day, like, is it that, like, I think Max, to your point, I'm like, is it that big of a deal? Like what happens if I put like in the bottom of the photo, like, oh, like the photo by she breaks on Instagram, like no one's going to go and like look that person up and then go and follow them. And like, it, it's going to make the content perform worse. It's ultimately going to just like lessen the speed at which the hobby grows and to no gain for anyone. So is your entire that. account a vehicle to grow the hobby? Yeah, I was gonna say I love how you're positioning this for like what's good for the Eric White <laughs> yeah. back Twitter account is yeah, what is, is what's good for the hobby. Well, the thing is, job. the thing the thing that I'm gonna say is like I am tagging everyone as best as I can everywhere. Yeah. But... I, I, just, I don't even want to go that deep into it because I think it's a point that I agree with, and I think it's a point that if anything, you are more correct on than your critics. Yeah, I agree. yeah, and if I'm wrong, I'm think like there's gonna be things where people critique me and they're yeah. right too. Like that's okay. Yeah. Um, but uh. But yeah, my like, I'm biased. But yes, I think me growing my account is good for the industry. I think that I get DMs like every single day, like five people, like, "Oh, I got into cards because you like, what should be buying, right?" And it's like, and then I'm sending them to like, I always just send them directly to my pinned tweet, and I'm like, "Hey, like, go read about that." And that's talking about like, "Hey, like, don't go and like rip wax necessarily. Like, think about what your goals are. Think about like buying singles. Think about what you want to collect. Are you here to just collect? Are you here to invest? Like, there's a whole conversation around that, and like." trying to inform people in a reasonable way. And I think like, look, I think that was one of my big frustrations around the hobby when the we really saw the pandemic boom. It was like, we had this perfect storm that will probably never be replicatable in terms of the biggest rush of people to cards in the history that we will ever see ever, period, point blank. And what happened? Prices went like this, and then they came right back down on the other end. Because what happened was there was like 
no one actually doing interesting educational content and no one that was like saying things that I found to be like wise collecting advice. And then like everyone comes in and they buy all the Zion and they buy all the whatever and it all goes down. And like what happens when they get burned on the cards is they're like never coming back to the industry again. If I went and spent 10,000 bucks on, on like, I don't know, Luca cards, or if I went and spent 10,000 on Mahomes and then he goes and wins a Super Bowl, my cards are now worth 2,500 bucks. Like, I'm just like, this is stupid. Like, I'm not doing this again. Right. And so, like, part of what was frustrating for me there was I felt like it was the perfect storm to make the hobby be significantly bigger in pop culture. And yet, the sort of incumbent voices that existed in the industry pushed people towards terrible decisions. So, you I say totally that you. Agree. Yeah, Max. Great. What do you? What do you? What sort of weird question do you got, Max? No, they're not weird questions. I no, mean, I'm just. And I think, look, overall account growth for the hobby is good for the hobby, and I love cards, and I'm never not going to love cards, and I'm saying this out of a love for cards and sometimes money. Um, so, <laughs> but you, I think, in order to produce authoritative content, you inherently have to be an authority or see yourself as an authority to some extent, and stemming off of you saying that you don't really block people you don't view things personally which i think is good and healthy but so you even just said sometimes your critics critique you and you're right and sometimes the critics are right when has when's a recent time that your mind has been changed by some of the very loud critics that have been antagonizing you recently well i think one easy examples. Like I used to just tag people in the photo. Now I tag yeah. them in the caption, right? That's a, that's a very basic, easy example. I'm trying to think of like other ones that come to mind where someone said something in. Um, Cause I think it takes an ego. It takes being very in a good way, stubborn on your own content, on your own mission, on your own. Hey, I want to be quoted by NPR and ESPN or I don't want to misphrase that, but you have your involvement in that. Yeah. And it takes not, it takes a, either healthy or unhealthy amount of not listening to other people. And if anything, that's very commendable. Yeah. But I mean, you I still believe yourself malleable to change sometimes. And I think, like you said, the mentioning of, or quite literally the mentions in your tweets are conductive to listening to others. Yeah. And I try, and I try to even respond to people sometimes and explain myself when it makes sense. If someone's like really mean and nasty, I'm probably just going to leave it. But if someone poses a reasonable question, I try to answer it when I can. And yeah, there's times when I have factual errors and I, you know, I say like, I think there was one time that I, maybe it was even one of you guys that mentioned me and I had a list of cards of like the, the perfect game, people who threw a perfect game and their most valuable cards. I think it was one of you guys like called out like, Oh, Hey, you missed like one. Like I, yeah, you're right. I, I did miss one. You're totally right. Um, and so like, yeah, it can be things like strategic things. It can be things about, um, you know, factual errors, all that stuff. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally, cool. I'm totally not perfect, but at the same time, like, um, you know, the, I, there's a, like a Marcus Aurelius quote about the reason that you open your mind is not to stay in the state of open-mindedness. It's to close it around something yet more firm. And so I think that's like a good way to think about like being open-minded yet being somewhat stubborn in what you believe and, and, and not just like folding to people who want separate things from you. So it's like, maybe I can be a little bit closed minded with stuff, but I'm always like looking for something to make things better and improve things. And people come to me with those things. And then like, once I find that thing, I open my mind, I close my mind more firmly around that. And it's like, let's rock and roll. Seems like a very healthy selfishness. And <laughs> I'm saying healthy. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't, 
I, I try not to be a, a selfish person. I, I don't like is, is wanting the best. What is the definition? Oh of yeah. Selfish, or at the very least um, worried or not necessarily worried, um, focused on your own best outlook. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. am trying to create like, said, my I own, my own best reality, but I'm certainly not trying to like, I would never. And this is back to your original question of like, is your goal pure virality? No. Like I want to, yes, I want to be as viral and reach as many people as possible with my content. That's part of what I do in my job and career, but I am not willing to cross like moral boundaries to do that. Right. Like I know I could go and be like, you know, some, like one of my, you know, someone who used to hate me, like Ryan's cards, LLC used to like come at me all the time. And I could have just like picked a fight, like said nasty things and gotten a ton of engagement, like reached a ton of people. And like, instead, like we became friends, <laughs> you know, like, and, and if I took the first route and was like, um, you know, I'm going to like go after him, whatever, like would have been viral, would have been a whole thing. I probably would have like more followers, whatever, but I'm like, no, I'd rather like do the right thing than do the thing that's going to go more viral. So to answer your question, like I care Yes, I care about going viral, but I won't do it at any expense. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Um, from what I'm hearing, Eric, like you have entered a certain hobby industry where this older generation is most dominant, at least online, because they've been having platforms for a while. They have these really kind of older internet communities that they have their way of doing things. And now there's all these new people coming in from COVID and everything. Yeah. And yeah they have not taken super well to these new voices who are coming in being like, Hey, actually, you know, like, and I totally get that. I think I we it. all deal with that all the time. Like me, I think me and Max have both have had experiences, especially at like shows and stuff where like mm -hmm. older guys just assume that you don't know shit or like that you're here just to like clout chase or whatever. Yep. And you I've, know, I've, I think that clout chasing is part of it. It's fun. It's like fun to make videos <laughs> about your cards and have people like see a bunch of shit about your building, your gold prism, set and i think that's mm -hmm. cool and like people are salty and that's part of the game is like on the internet especially like if you have anything that sees that many eyes you're gonna get a certain amount of haters and like being able to deal with that is something not everyone can do and i respect that you have this sort of like humbleness about it and i was and i you have the humble brags and i i, I think <laughs> those are fine to have and good to have and part of the internet is like being able to humble brag pretty well and well, then people respect I, you a little bit and i'll be like totally honest too like there's probably been a half dozen times where I've seen something on the internet about me that just ruins my day. And like, I just feel like I just go and take a nap and sleep for three hours and wake up and like, you know, eat dinner and work out and go to bed or something. Right. Like I, like I'm, I think people forget that like, dude, I'm just a normal 27 year old kid. Right. And I think it's like easy to look at any sort of person on social media with a certain number of followers and be like, oh, like, you know, I'll say this and that, like, they'll never see it. Or I'll say this and that, like this person, it feels like not a person to me. Like, um, yeah, like there's one on one hand, it's like, I, I do my best to try not to let things bother me or get to me. But like, I think it's a good reminder to people too. Like one of the things that was really frustrating to me was what was it? It was like the Lucille Ball autograph that that guy pulled and there was like this whole scandal around like oh did he search the pack like yada yada and like people were like attacking him and his kid and stuff and I'm like this like you like this was this should have been a really fun and exciting moment for this guy who cares if he searched the pack at Target it doesn't matter like let let the guy like have some fun and not attack him I'll add here too like um people are less positive when cards are down and cards like in general 
a lot of them are down a lot. And I think like, you know, when you're holding the bag on certain things or have lost money on certain things, and then particularly like there was a big group of people that would get really upset when I would talk about how a certain modern card is overvalued. It's like, they probably have some money in similar things and are afraid that I'm affecting the market. And it's also just easier to be like crotchety when things are down, right? Like if you're losing money, you're less likely to, you're more likely to go online and say something negative than if you're like up 5X, right? So I think there's a lot of things at play. I do think there is some tribalism in collecting that really does rub me the wrong way in terms of like, and an example I would even say is um, whenever I post something NFT related, there's like this whole group of people that like, you know, screenshot, right click, save as like, you guys are all stupid. I can't believe anyone would buy this stuff. Like you guys are idiots. And it's like, it's this weird thing where it's like, look, if someone wants to collect that stuff, it doesn't have to be for you. Like, just let them collect it and have fun and enjoy it. And it's like, if you wanted to win the NFT people over to trading cards, what you would do is be like, oh, this is interesting, right? Like, cool, like good for this guy. He bought the really expensive thing or, you know, good for this guy. He flipped it and made 20X, right? Or, hey, like, I don't get this, but, you know, more power to the people that are into it. But instead, like what card collectors do is they go and they like, and I'm not, this is this is a generalization. This isn't everyone, but some people will go and like be really combative to people who collect other things. I'm like, look, if you collect anything, we are all on the same team. Like stop being tribal. The way to win people over to cards is not to attack the thing that they collect. It's to just like show some general interest and to generally be kind to those people. That's how you win them over. So it's this weird thing where like you think that you're winning people over by trying to diss the thing that they collect but the way to win them over is to you know just be kind and and show some general interest so um yeah no, i think that's that's a good sentiment and like yeah. i think there's always comparisons that you can draw between collectible industries and i think that you do a decent enough job of being like these are similar things in the nft world versus cards or like i know you did the whole promoted post about some nft card thing and it's like you drew comparisons mm -hmm. to be like this is similar to like this thing in cards and i think that that is a way of doing it um there are some people who just aren't into cards and that's just how it's going to be and that's, and that's totally okay fine. yep that's totally fine um <laughs> yeah. max do you have anything you want to ask before i turn this to a nerdy card conversation that does not involve uh addressing controversies that eric has started on come on hit me max what do you got you guys you guys been too easy on me I've been too easy. Okay, well, no, I'm just trying I, uh, to say what's on my mind. I'm just trying to be as respectful and as galvanizing as possible. But I, I think, what? Yeah, I think I think what I learned, Eric, is that oh, I was you. Wrong. Oh, you're. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm oh sorry. no, you no, keep no. going. Keep going. No, keep apology going. accepted. <laughs> I'm just doing my bridge. Keep going. Yeah, I know. I know. But I mean, something. That, I mean, something that Tommy and I poke fun of a little bit is that, or that I specifically do, is that sports are a form of tribalism. Tommy will. Mm -hmm dissent on that and i no tommy you won't okay cool no i won't dissent i just say that it's not a bad thing that it's tribalism I'm yeah i think sports are not, you that, say it with such negative connotation yeah. <laughs> i think people activate their inner chauvinist they act very territorial like you know my mm -hmm. new york knicks very few of them i think if any are from new york you know my new york yeah. yankees very few of them are from new york or from the same schools or towns and that's with really Every, I mean, up until you know the high school level, unless you're at a very high high school, you know, unless you're at an elite sports academy, your people on the football field are went to classes with you. Once you get to the college level, these aren't the same people that are your peers intellectually or athletically, or they're not a representation of the student body. But paralleling that to this, um, sport uh, sports cards have a lot of community. Mm -hmm. I think the, the average person is probably, I mean, if you look at averages, 
you know, the average person has one boob and one testicle. The averages mean nothing. <laughs> That's funny. I've never yeah. heard that. But like with that in mind, if you have a hive mind of maybe the most dedicated people to cards in this space, I'd say Instagram, I'm, I'm going to get to a point, but Instagram is a lot of showboating. Twitter is a lot of conversation. And I'd argue and pretend people that are card hobbyists on Twitter are maybe the most opinionated hmm. because yeah. it's a medium that supports it. And I'd say even the majority of them are anti-Eric Whiteback. I don't think it's fair to say it's just one slew critic that's just being very antagonizing. If this entire community is very anti-Ben Haynes, even more anti-Ben Haynes than I am, I'm if anything, this is a fun conversation. <laughs> Does that signify that there's something wrong or incorrect in your approach? Um that's I'm a lot gonna, of I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna answer first I'm gonna answer a different question than you okay. than you asked. And then I'll and then, then I'll answer the question that you asked. Sure. So the, the first thing that I'm going to answer to is I don't think that it's a majority at all. Okay. I would say like most people don't know about me. And of most people who know about me, I think like 99% are probably like, this is cool, fine. Like I'm not like a super fan, but like oh, post interesting enough stuff, I'll just follow and pay attention. And then I think there's like maybe 0.1% that are like, really engaged super fans, whatever. And like, that's awesome. And there's probably like, maybe I'm leaving out like a, you know, a few tenths of a percent, but I, I would say there's like in the vicinity of one tenth of 1% that are like outspoken against what I'm doing. And I, to like put that into, into numbers, it's like I, my following across platforms is over 2 million. Like how many people have you actively seen saying negative things against me? I'm going to say it's less than 2000, which would put it at less than one tenth of 1%. I just think like a huge majority of people are like sort of apathetically like, yeah, like I see his stuff. It's interesting enough. Like I'm kind of into cards. It's worth like, you know, just hitting the follow button. Like, I think that's how like 99 plus percent of people are. So um, I would disagree that most people are like very anti me. I just, I think it's, I think it's a few loud voices. I think it's, when people are anti me, it tends to go viral. It tends to be this rage bait strategy to breach a lot of people. Um, and it works for whatever reason, particularly on Twitter, just probably because I have a loud enough voice there that it's like, you know, like I said before, controversial things tend to go somewhat viral. So I think that, I think that is a piece of it is that there's people that realize that when they say negative things about me, they can reach a lot of people. Um, but uh, yeah, I know. I, I think it's, I think it's a much smaller percentage than sort of the way that you're laying it out here. I, I don't think I've seen more than 2000 people say something negative, for example. Right. Um, a lot of times it's the same voices too, where I can like see a username and be like, not even see what they said and know it's going to be something hyper negative. Um, but yeah, I think you've probably, you've probably seen like plenty of things that are said negative about me, but it's like anytime you go into someone who's saying something negative about me and it's reaching a lot of people, it tends to be like their most viewed tweet in the last hundred tweets. Um, and it's like, does that mean that I think that every single person that does it is like disingenuous? Like, no, I'm sure some people mean it and that's okay. Um, but you know, I think there's some part of it too, where people realize that it's an opportunity to get clicks and views and things like that. So even of the sort of people that are very anti, I'd say some percentage of them aren't really as anti as they make it look. And I'll also add on top of that, one final point before I answer your question is I don't block anybody. And so 
what that does is that opens me up to people saying negative things. I also recognize too that like some amount of some people saying negative things is somewhat helpful um, just in terms of like driving conversation and controversy and people like thinking and talking about things. Um, but look, if I went and blocked 500 Twitter accounts, it would look like there was no one that was against me because they wouldn't see my tweets and they wouldn't be able to interact with them. And like, it just wouldn't be like nearly the conversation that it is. Like I almost guarantee you, and this is not to say that like one is right or wrong. I almost guarantee you that people like Jeff Wilson or sports card radio or whoever are like blocking people like or Ken Golden's blocking people like they're all blocking people. I'm like the one person that doesn't do it. And so because of that, you have everyone has access to say whatever they want about me. They don't have that with anyone else, maybe not anyone else, but they don't have that with most other people who have as big a following in cards. And so, um, you know, that's that's sort of like how I would position the reality of the current situation. Um, does it mean that because people are upset, you've done something wrong? No, I don't think it does. Um, <laughs> this is like I'm not I'm not going to compare myself to this person. No one should. Um, but just to make the point that just because people are upset doesn't mean you didn't do anything wrong. It's like they crucified Jesus. You know, like, and not for nothing, like just to be real for a second, like my, my faith is a super important part of my life. I'm a Christ follower. It's a huge part of what I do. Um, it's the most important thing to me that there is. Um, and he was someone that never sinned, never did anything wrong and they killed him for it. So, um, all that means, no, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus. That is not what unreal. just happened. All I, the only there. point unreal. that I, the only point that I'm making is that just just because people are mad doesn't mean you did something yeah. wrong. And that's, that's, that's the pinnacle example of it. Yeah. At yeah. least my, I think there, Tommy, I'm going to let you speak. I'm sorry. No, no, but I want, I want you to keep talking. Yeah. I want to get into this. I think there is a lot of merit to what you're saying, especially with maybe 90% or higher of followers of Eric Whitepack media incorporated are just <laughs> scrolling on the phone. They maybe entered from a giveaway. They see the cool shiny card. They like it. They move on. At least anecdotally, I don't have the statistics to like to back it up, but the larger critics of you seem to be individuals that are more. Oh, no. Well, if Max was not about to start talking in tenths of percents, I was going to get pissed at him. So <laughs> I am going to just keep I'm going to just fill in while Max is positive. Really well, yeah, what, what did you what did you think Max was going to say there before we lost him? Oh, he was going to say that most people who are critics of you are people who are relatively respected in the hobby, I think, is where he was going. Like, there are people who are relatively respect, or I would say, generally speaking, I haven't looked at all your negative comments that have been said about you. I'm sure most of them are from mainly troll people. But there are some more respected people. I did not do this research. This is Max's question, but I think this is where he was going with it. We're like, there there are people that I will say I respect who have said that they maybe, you know, aren't fans of what you do and the content you put out there and how the ways that you get your account to grow, basically, for lack of a better way of putting it. So I guess the question there is, why do I think that is? And I would honestly love to hear your opinion on it before I give my own opinion on it. Like, why do you, why do you think that that might be the case? Because I think that mainly these people that are on social media who are respected people in cards are mainly about sharing information without thinking about presenting that information in a way that's going to make it go viral. 
so you got guys like you just have these old heads who like aren't using social media to grow accounts. They're using it to share ideas. And that's totally yeah. fair. And that's where I kind of was getting at with my point earlier about this, like the hobby's been on the internet for a long time. Not like most, like everything that's ever been out there. Like the hobbies had these like forums for these dudes have been talking to each other on the internet for like almost three decades about yep. cards. Yep. And if you're doing anything differently from them, like I think you get a lot of the same critics who just criticize influencer content and I not the word influencer content creators in general. Like, yeah. like they critique content creators because the goal of content is to grow your following. It's not the same goal as like spreading information about. Yeah, the totally. And so I, I think the way that I would sort of describe that is people confuse social media for a meritocracy. It is not such. It is not that way. It is not that the foremost expert or the, you know, the person who's been in it the longest, like automatically gets the biggest following or the person who deserves it has the most people who listen to them or the highest character person is the one that has the opportunity to give the advice to the most people. Like that's not how it works. And I think to your point, people who have been in this way longer than me and who particularly have been in not, not just in cards, but in card content creation longer than me. I think there's some component of them mistaking social media for a meritocracy than being like, wait, this guy doesn't deserve this, right? Like, why does he get to be the one that goes viral or the one that has X number of followers or whatever? And to those people, I would remind them, like, I do not claim to be the world's biggest OG in this space. Like, I've I've loved it since I was a kid, but I'm I'm not the single biggest expert in the world. I just happen to know how social media works really well. And I will recognize that there are plenty of people within cards and within the card industry that deserve to have more followers than me, right? Like, like Ken Golden deserves to have more followers than me. Nat Turner deserves to have more followers than me. They don't, but they deserve to. They like definitely deserve to. Like, I don't know who like Fish at Blowout like deserves to have more followers than me. Like, there's probably a hundred people, I, a thousand people I don't know that like deserve to have more followers than me if we're going to base it off of this meritocracy. But what social media is, is it th that number of followers you have isn't a, isn't a value on like who you are as a person. It's just sort of some like, you know, metric of how good you are at capturing attention on a social platform that has an ever changing algorithm. I, I just happen to be good at that. And I, I think some people mistake that for like me thinking that I'm like some God or that like, Oh, like how's this kid get to like have this, like, I, I get it. But I think like, I think your answer is probably the same answer that I would have in terms of why those some of those respected voices or voices that have been in it longer than me might be some of the negative or dissenting voices the humble brag it's good you're good at it eric i respect it and max i think <laughs> i finished your question for you so uh but he doesn't compare himself to jesus he doesn't no compare. i don't i like i know i'm gonna regret even saying that because it's like gonna you know someone somewhere is gonna clip it and cut out the part where like i say i understand it's so funny though yeah, it is. It is. It is funny. No, that's it's not a comparison anyone anyone should make. Eric, do you got some time to talk cards with us, dude? You what, still got time? What time is it? Nine fourteen. Uh, it's one a.m. It's one a.m. I, I was just gonna like make a joke about how like oh it's ten p.m. Like yeah, I have three more hours, but yeah, I gotta I gotta I gotta <laughs> cut it like you know. So yeah, well, dude, we can. I I will do this all night. Like if you can't tell, like. Well, and you're about to find out. Like, I, we've kind of been talking about me the whole time, which is okay, but I'm more excited to talk about other things. So, um, let's do it. We can talk uh, cards all night if you want to. Let's talk cards. I think people are going to listen to this whole episode, regardless of how long we make it. So, I'm pro make it. 
I just turned Max onto Dan Carlin, his history podcast. They go for like five hours. We're not about to do a five hour podcast, but <laughs> I think I got enough meat on the bone still for the people that are really just here for cards, not our analysis of society and how social media impacts humanity. As we <laughs> get into earlier, as fun as that is, I want to talk about something that me and Max talk about a lot with our guests, which is kind of where you go to learn about cards. Because I think the common theme of our podcast is that there's not really some sort of centralized database where you can go for all information on cards. There's a uh, lack of centralization of information and knowledge that yep, makes totally. card collecting fun because there's still frontiers to be found and like things to collect that are rare and cool that maybe no one else has found, not because they're not cool, but because no one has found it yet or taken the time to like go into it. Um, I'm kind of teeing you up here also to give credit where credit's due for like where you've learned and like <laughs> people out there that are knowledgeable that have shared with you. So kind of like both of, I, I'm interested to know also when you were younger, cause you said you were doing this like collection of Phillies players. So learning, yeah. I want to know like, where were you going for information at that point? Yep. Um, and nowadays, where are you learning? Where are you buying? Where are you selling? I think the single most important tool for any collector of any item whatsoever is eBay completed listings. I think that's like, if you are a collector who collects anything other than maybe like something really absurdly expensive, like, I don't know, vintage cars or something or houses, like things that you can't list on eBay. Um, if you collect anything besides those things, like eBay should be your single biggest tool for learning and it should be your single biggest tool to figure out what the heck's going on. So a couple of things that I always tell people is like, you want to really figure out how to use eBay completed and sold listings. You want to make sure you understand how to take things with a grain of salt and recognize that things might not always be exactly what they look like, but still be able to sort of parse through that data and figure out what makes sense. And I would tell people all the time to like make saved searches and just before you even buy anything, make, make, you know, figure out a hundred things you're interested in, make safe searches for all of them and just watch them for six months and see how often things come up for sale and how often things get listed. Because for certain cards, this was like really true of vintage soccer two years ago before people were grading it. Um, it's really true of a lot of video games today. It's like, you don't know how rare something is until you have an eBay safe search for 12 months and check it every day. Because it's like, you know, you might be a month in and be like, wow, 15 of these got listed already. Like, it's not that rare. You might be six months in and be like, I haven't seen a single original sealed Super Monkey Ball copy in six months. So like, I know when one comes up, I'm going to be ready to pay for it. Um, so I think there's some element of patience as it relates to figuring out how rare something is. But understanding the rarity of something is really, really important before you go and buy it. Because pop, pop reports can't be fully trusted as this like 100% um source on exactly how rare something is or else like you know some jason kid 2019 prism base card is like one of the rarest cards in the world um so yes the pop reports are also a great tool and i'll 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 use this as my segue pop reports are also a great tool you should totally check them whether it's video games or comics or trading cards or anything that has a pop report you should check it before you go and buy an item you should know how many are graded in that condition um, other tools that I use, I use car ladder a lot. I think one of the things I love about car ladder the most is that it shows you eBay sold data and all these other auction houses too, but it shows you sold data going back like 10, 15, 20 years, which is like incredible because that's sort of a shortcut to be like, well, geez, I don't know how many of these were listed in the last three months. We can just go and type it in on there and hit sold listings and date most recent, and then just see like, okay, look, there was, there was two of these in the last five years. Right. So 
I think there's a little bit of a shortcut there. And I love just being able to go and type in like mantle price highest first. Okay. Here's like the fifth highest mantle. Like, Hey, there's been like 32 mantle sales over like $750,000. Right. So like for me in my content creation, card ladder is a really, really, really helpful tool, but I also use it a lot too, to like get comps on things. And my brother's trying to do the 99 Bowman best atomic complete set. And he's like, Hey, like, give me a comp on like AJ Burnett. Like there wasn't, so like, you know, he'll text me and I'll go on card ladder. I'll look, I'll send him the screenshot. So like card ladder is a big tool that I use. Um, another tool that I use a ton is TCDB. I think that is, I don't know who listens to this podcast, but I, if there is anyone at any serious like company with cash, whether it's like, you know, collectors or all or fanatics or panini, like someone needs to buy them and modernize that operation because what they have there is worth an insane amount of money. Um, and that's an incredible tool. And if they got that out to the right people and like really marketed that the right way, people would realize that that, that thing is like, I would pay a hundred bucks a month for that. And I wouldn't blink. Um, TC uh, stories, Eric, that I could tell you about TCDB and the people behind TCDB. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about them. Dude, honestly. I don't know. I don't know who it is. I don't know any of their stories. If you need to tell they, me off air, you can, but they are or if, you can, if you can't tell me at all, that's okay too. But no, I can. Here's what I'll tell you. TCDB is run uh, as an archaic. Totally. I, totally. I don't know if it's a company. It's a, it's a couple people. Um, they have a lot of service space. They are running more ads now than they were in, earlier. But mm-hmm. I know, I think they'd be fine with me talking about this. When I was working at Ludex, they offered, I know that there's at least conversations around how much would it cost to buy TCDB? Is yeah. that worth it? Um, and I know that there was at least a communication back and forth with them where they if, said. If they had zero active users, by the way, I would still view them as a multi-million dollar property. Oh, yeah. It's unbelievable what they've done. And like the fact, I mean, the fact that it's crowdsourced has created a lot of issues for the yep. long-term longevity or mm-hmm. like health of the, the service, how fucked up the database is in a lot of different yeah, ways. It's, but... not, it's not perfect. It's pretty good though. If you really look, there's not that many major issues, but I, I, no. I'll let you get to your point here. What's your, uh, no, no, no. the point is just like, no, the point is just, uh, they're not, they're not really at a point to sell. I don't think they want to sell. They are. They were at least as of a year ago in conversations with some company about some sort of partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, that now I have still yet to see how it's come to fruition on the full side of things. But I think TCDB is like from the ground up, like one of the most OG website internet. Like this is born mm-hmm. out of the same vein as like Napster file sharing sites. Like yeah, I just totally. think it's still out there, still thriving. So. I had to do my little TCDB thing. That's one of my favorite things. That that was like when I started getting back into collecting after I graduated college, like during COVID, I was home. Classic story. But TCDB is where I went because I was like, oh, there's a lot of like OG collectors who are like, oh, this is where I track my collection. And I was yep. obsessed yep. with having the most Clay Thompson cards on TCDB. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's what I want. Um, I was always trying to get Ludux to have that leaderboard because I was like, that's totally. literally why Leaderboards I'm are, TCDB should be a thing. is the leaderboard. So um I'm glad you well my my it. advice to tcdb would be sell and my, my <laughs> other advice to tcdb would be um you should you should pay people for information and you should try to create some sort of system where like you're you're rewarding people for putting new info on the site i would love to see pack odds and like i wish when i clicked into the overview of a of a certain set that like it showed a picture of like the back of the wrapper or the back of the box to show the pack odds and then like if there was a way to also include like 
here's a calculation of how many boxes there are based on the pack odds. Like I think all that stuff could be so, so, so valuable. And um, yeah, certainly like if the right company bought that, like imagine Fanatics buys that and they can just think and input everything in there right away. And they can even go, you know, backdate stuff and add new things. And like you could reward people with, you know, cash or a point system to be like, hey, look, you like found that this card was duplicated in the in the listing or you missed that like, oh, you know, we didn't have the glow in the dark Alan Ginter mini from like whatever year it was, right? Like you could everything. Yeah. And you could like reward people for it. And it could be a, it could be a thing where like, you know, okay, like four, four people like or 40 people like made some note on this card to like click the like report like error on it. So like we're removing it. Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I love that website. Other things I use, um, I use Gemrate some. I think they're pretty cool. Um, trying to think what else. I don't want to like leave anything out. TCB. Do you go on Comsi? Do you do Comsi solds ever? Those are an I- interesting world. I never do ComC solds. I use ComC. I don't really sell on ComC. I just buy things on there when they get listed on there. Um, but I've never used their sold property. They have they have some deep sales data on there. If you're if that's your game, that's uh, interesting. I you, know there's a card on there that I want to know how much it sold for, which is the Devin Booker Black One of One Prism Rookie sold on ComC Raw, like when it came out. And I'm curious what it sold for. And I didn't even I don't even know if I knew that you could go and look at sold data on ComC. Yeah, you can get some pretty good data. They hold some of it close to the chest because when I was working at Ludx, we got I got a lot of info on like how far back people have sales data for some of these websites and some of these mm-hmm. softwares and like how much they have available but aren't showing the public versus yeah, totally. have it. Comsi Comsi has data for days. I'll tell you that. That's what I'll tell you. But uh, I, I I appreciate you know you giving us a little window into it, how you approach researching cards and stuff. I think. I think those are the sorts of things that I think if we can spread the word about how those things are done as much as we can, the health of the hobby will be for the best for the long term. Um, I also have other friends and hobbyists and experts I go to too when I have questions. Like I'm, I I am not above asking Ken Golden what the value of a card is when I want to figure out like if I'm too high or too low on something. You know, like I, I'll go to people and ask if I feel like I, I'm not suited to give a number and sometimes people want me to include them sometimes people don't want me to quote them so like you know there's there's some of both but um yeah i I also have like i don't know i've got i've got multiple trading card group texts where i'm just shooting the breeze with people back and forth all day and you've got a lot of friends i have i don't have a lot of friends i have a few very core friends i think is is probably like more accurate so what do, what do you collect, Eric? Don't talk about video games. Just don't talk about comic books. What, what cards? <laughs> what cards do you collect? What do you? What is? What gets you going? Um. Okay. So. Uh, there's a Venn diagram of this is what I collect. This is what I invest, and there's like an overlap. So I'll start with the pure what I collect that is zero investment, which is probably what you guys will be most excited about anyway. Um, late '90s, early 2000s, Phillies. Um, any like key insert set parallel, like I want to do PMGs, I want to do 24 karat brilliance, I want to do, um, you know, 98, 99 atomics, 99 finest gold refractors, essential credentials, uh, super raves, um, uh, star rubies, like all that stuff is, are, are things that I'm going for. Some of them I'm like, yeah, I got like, you know, four 99 finest gold refractors of Phillies and other ones. It's like, yeah, I've got like the Desi Relaford PMG. And I don't think that collection is going to grow too much anytime soon, you know? So, um, I'm after all that stuff. I have save eBay searches for all of it. I'm always looking for it. And then I will also just buy like any Philadelphia Philly one of one trading card ever. Um, 
the exception is like I'm it has to be licensed. I'm not like going buying unlicensed stuff and I won't buy like the tops archive signature, you know, buybacks. Cause if I add those to like, I'll buy those one-on-ones then I'm just like the whole collection is going to be that. Cause they're so available and it would just kind of be like a lot of money. So, um, late nineties, early two thousands is what I love the most. But then in terms of one-on-ones, I'll go buy anyone. Like I'm trying to think, uh, like Cam, I just got like a Cam Perkins 2014 Bowman Chrome Super Fractor. Who like did he ever have a major league at bat? Like I don't know, but it's like a Philly Super Fractor, so like sick. I'm buying it. Um, then outside of that, I do gold prisms for, and this is still in my like this is maybe a little overlap of investment because I do feel like oh these probably are not the worst thing to hold, but I have um I'm trying to do every Philadelphia 76er and every Philadelphia Eagle gold prism. Um, I probably have like 50 of each. So I'm like nowhere close. I don't go and overpay for them, but like when I feel like I can get one at market or cheaper, like I'll just, I'll just scoop them up and then just add them to the collection. So, um, I really I have put a, together some beasts. You're just going after just hard ass projects, like the difficulty level high. I want to even dude, harder. Like the, the more you'll get to know me, the more you'll learn about me that dude, I just like, I, I like to do things big and just like throw Hail Marys. And I'm like, if things don't work, they don't work. But I, I'd like swinging for the fences. Um, so I think like PC is those things. The one other PC I have that um, I don't get the chance to talk about a ton, but every now and then get to throw it into something like this is like, so my dad worked for Hershey foods. Like I mentioned before, he was there like 17 years um, and he was in charge of a lot of their sports partnerships. And one of those partnerships was they did uh, the, the main sponsorship for a few NASCAR cars. I don't know if you guys know NASCAR at all, but um, they did Kevin Harvick, they did Johnny Sauter, they did Clint Boyer. And then my dad went and worked for Ollie's Bargain Outlet, which is like a big lots competitor. Um, and they did a couple paint schemes with like Jamie McMurray, Dave Blaney, guys like that. And so like when they were when they were doing that, my dad was actually the guy that designed the cars and designed the fire suits. And so like to me, this is like a really fun like piece of my childhood where like we would go we'd get home from church on a sunday we'd go watch the nascar race and like i don't watch nascar at all like anymore you know but like when i was 12 it was like the coolest thing in the world to me and like you know we get when we go to a race like we'd get to hang out with the drivers and stuff and so it was like it was a really really fun thing for me and just like something that i'm just totally nostalgic and sentimental about and there's absolutely this is this is the thing for me that is like the furthest on the line of like this is purely a collecting thing like i know these are like worthless right um but any time that there is a card that features a paint scheme or a fire suit that my dad did, I'm not buying the base cards, but any other card I'll buy. So it's autographs and numbered cards and relics and things like that. But um, yeah, I'm like I have safe searches for those. And it's funny because like, you know, sometimes to your point earlier, people would be like, oh, he's just here to like get something out of this. And it's like just here for money. It's like, dude, like I get more amped over finding the right $3 card than the right $3,000 card. Um, I mean, money's cool. Money's great. No one's like everything else being equal more money is better. And I don't think either you're going to argue with me on that one. But, what did um, Jesus say about money though? What did Jesus say? About money? Hey, you know, give to what, give to, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Um, yeah. He talked a lot about money, but um, yeah. I don't I think that we, we, unless we want to get this to be the, the biblical podcast and go deep on his parables. I think we can, we can save that for another convo. I, I had to keep I have to bring it up at least one more time. Every, <laughs> every time you name drop Ken Golden, I get to make a Jesus reference. Yeah. That's the new rule. Okay. That, that works for me. Um, 
Uh, so where was I? Yeah, those are those are the things that I'm really like personally collecting, going after every now and then again. Every now and again, I'll make a play on some like rookie that I like. Um, like I have a really nice Vinicius Junior um, 2018 optic gold PSA 10, which is like a sweet card. It's sort of like out of my range of what I normally buy, but that's kind of like that's more speculative. Every now and then, I'll buy a hyped rookie card and just spend a couple thousand bucks on one single thing. But it's like you know. 1% of what I'm buying. Um, but the real like, and this is, I don't think there's anything that I'm doing that's pure investing other than maybe that the, the real crossover for me would be the, would be the gold prism collection. Um, and that's the, the 2014, 2018, 2022 prism world cup sets. So, um, 2014 prism world cup was the first soccer product I ever opened. Um, I would say it's the most important soccer product ever. It's the, um, it's the first real modern soccer set. It has some of the most beautiful prism cards I think that have ever been made. And it's like, you know, really like it's really the first real modern soccer cards ever made to me. I, I, I would put it as the most important soccer product ever made. Um, but I also have that like personal background with those. When that came out in the stores, like I was hyped. That was the first like real soccer set where I was like, dude, I can like collect soccer cards. And I went and like ripping boxes at 150 bucks retail when they came out. So like I have those memories with it too. Um, but so I'll just give you the update of where I'm at in that set, which is 2014s are stinking hard to find. Like 2014 Prism World Cup cards are way tougher to find than 2012 Prism basketball cards. That product, I think there's more of it sealed still in existence. I think a lot of it was ripped internationally. And I think when a lot of those cards were open, they were viewed as relatively worthless. Um, so there's probably a lot of them sitting in binders and shoe boxes in like China, to be honest. Um, but, uh, yeah, the other thing I like about the prison world cup set too, is that it's, it's only once every four years. So there's that extra level of scarcity built in. I like getting the guys in the international kits instead of their club teams. I think international is just international soccer to me has always been cooler than club soccer. Um, and, uh, yeah. So to update you on where I'm at, I think I'm at 92 out of 201 on 2014 and then 2018 and 2022 both have 300 apiece. And I'm at 252 in 2018, and I'm at 252 in 2022. I've been stuck on those numbers for a little bit. I just got a 2014 Shabby Alonzo in today that I definitely overpaid for. I paid like over a thousand bucks for it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's like if that's uh, oh, there is one other, there is one other thing I collect, and I listened to like 15 minutes of your last podcast before I jumped on here, and I think one of you buys them too, which is uh, the heritage chrome black refractors i've been trying to do like some of the 2004s of that with the first year of it because to me that's like one of the coolest parallels ever it's one of the longest standing parallels that exists and uh i mean i like going for first year stuff when it's when it's those prominent sets so i have like 10 of them but um i'm keeping an eye out for those as well max do you respect this collection do you respect do you respect what he, what eric collects if it's genuine i respect it <laughs> hey, I well, think what, you did a good what, job <laughs> explaining where it's at. It's a spectrum, man. It's a it's spectrum a, of long yeah. holds versus just like I don't care what the value is, and I I think that's how we all collect. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just pro fun, and if You're it's authentic fun. to you, then that's what's appropriate and most important. Well, as, as cliche if, as it sounds, if you're wondering if I have fun with it, man, dude, it's like I I yep. I still get. I just spend an hour on eBay every day at least. I probably check my safe searches thirty times a day. It's like it's yeah. it's compulsive. Yeah, I mean, I, I spend about an hour on eBay every day, but I do it as a dirty, evil flipper. So, I mean, I'm just... Hey, dude, yeah. I've 
you will never you will never see me hating on a flipper or someone that's purely into try and invest. Yeah, but I will hate on. And that. if I find Philly super not factors. not for that exact reason. If you find Philly super factors, you'll buy them and mark them up twenty percent to me. Maybe. Yeah. Hey, I'll pay. It's only ten for you. What's that? Super only ten percent for you. Oh, perfect, man. That's what a, what a good friend. Eric, one time, uh, Max, he bought like one of Buster Posey's rarest cards. I really wanted it. Max held it for three months as I paid him off in like random Venmo increments <laughs> for two for two or three months and. So I Max is at his I like heart. I, I like Buster man. Posey. I think Buster Posey's too cheap. Catchers, man. That's how it is. Um, Salvador but Perez too. I would I would be remiss if we didn't talk about this at least for a second because this was like the last thing that I would have talked about at least in some capacity. Um, less about you personally, more about what's going on in the world, which is top fanatics is getting sued by Panini. Um, and vice versa. I don't, and vice versa. Who knows? Um, Seems like I right, I'm gonna say what I think happened, and then you guys can come in with your thoughts. But it seems like to me, Fanatics was trying to buy out Panini. Uh, Ruben does not want to wait the years out of seeing what Panini's gonna do before he takes over these licenses. He wants to buy them out immediately. Um, he's coming in hot, red hot, being like, you know, whatever. What's the cost? Seems like what they did. And I definitely read your tweet before this, Eric. But I totally mm-hmm. believe that the Panini was just like fabricating what their projections were um, trying to, you know, gas up their value as much as possible. They were definitely dealing with some other shit on the side of like actually what they think is going to happen. I think this is why Panini as a company is untrustworthy. The lack of pack odds is just like a great representation of like what Panini is as a company to me. Yeah. Um, But it seems like they just like were negotiating in bad faith, um, drew out the whole thing, fanatics, you know, eventually probably just like, fuck this. This is take, like, you guys are never actually going to do this. Like, cause I was hearing when I was working athletics, I was hearing from like every single industry person. It was like every single person was convinced that fanatics was going to buy out Panini. And I was like, yep. All right. Everyone, well, everyone was convinced. I heard it when from a hundred people. Yeah. When yeah. is this going to happen? So the fact that it didn't happen was like, what the fuck? Like, how are this many people wrong about this? Um, so I'm when not I saw this, forward, so I didn't hear it. Yeah, like you weren't well i was i was spewing like fake conspiracy theories on this podcast probably during the time um, <laughs> fake conspiracy theories are are fun when they're about like cards you know it's yeah, stuff that doesn't matter <laughs> exactly um but i think i think that's what happened it seems like now panini is maybe this was their plan all along to like see how much how much fanatics would acquire and then try to do this lawsuit like i i can see like one person having this grand scheme like this is the end game where we sue fanatics for monopoly shit like <laughs> is that the, i think that could have been the end game at some point for some person but we are here now they are getting sued um am i wrong and what happened what do you guys think so i think panini got outmaneuvered and outclassed at like every single possible level of business acumen and strategy um and i do i I could be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong on this. Um, but from from the limited information that I have here, it does seem to me like Tops is probably not lying when they say that this is a last gasp effort from Panini. Um, it does seem like Fanatics was going to acquire Panini. It does seem like Panini pulled some interesting stunt to make it not happen. Why they went and did that, I'm not totally sure. Maybe it was just... Um, 
you know, trying to milk as many dollars out of it as well, as they could while they let negotiations drag on. They're like, ah, oh, if we let them drag on for six more months, we can get another, you know, a couple hundred million in revenue and put that in our pockets, right? So like, I don't know. I don't know um, if it was that. If I was at Fanatics right now, and before I say what I would do if I was at Fanatics, I'm just going to, I need to call out. Fanatics has been like incredible in the way that they've done this. They like went and did the deal sort of like behind Tops back. They went and maneuvered that whole thing. And then they got Tops for like a third of what they were going to IPO for on the open market. And then like PWCC had this whole thing where their loan program went sour. And I'm trying to think what I'm allowed to say here because I probably, no more than I should say, but um, yeah, no, I'm like I don't, I can't remember who told me what that that is allowed to be said and not, but like basically, they went in and were like, we're just gonna buy this thing, like we don't care, we're getting it below market, like we don't need to know all the information about everything going on, we're just gonna get it, we'll figure it out later. And I'm like, they got they got tops at pennies on the dollar, they got PWCC at pennies on the dollar. PWCC, by the way, is like, is do they have everything figured out about? everything figured out about their business no but like their product is beautiful like like the like the sort of ux ui of pwcc is probably the best of any platform that there is like period um so i think they got an incredible product and they probably have you know a billion dollars of assets under management inside the vault if you just made me like throw a random number on it so i think they've operated incredibly well and then they had the whole like fanatics events announcement like a week before the national and it's like that rings super loud in everyone's mind when you're at the national the ac and the wi-fi don't work and when you go to get concessions like it's a crusty slice of pizza or a hot dog or nothing right so it's like i think they've like they've operated very very well they've had a lot of really strong hires from other places um and so this is like setting the backdrop for like everything that's going on. And then they get to this, like now we're at today, they've acquired all these different pieces. I think they will still probably go and get a grading company. Um, but as it relates to Panini, if I was them, I'd be doing exactly what they're doing. I'd be like basically giving them the double birds being like this company either because either you buy them or you destroy them. It's like, those are, those are what you want to do if you're fanatics. And so they wanted to buy them and they were willing to do it and they were going to go do it. But now they just sort of, you know, Panini mucked it up. And so it's, it's time for the double birds to come out. Right. And so like, I think they're doing that quite well. I would also say that what they stand to gain by buying Panini is really only the license is getting moved up. I think that's the real only thing they stand to gain. Like, because I think Panini's best property is Prism. And Prism is super comparable to Topps Chrome. I don't even feel like it would be right to have Prism and Topps Chrome coming out for the same um, sports league in the same year. I feel like that would just get like a little weird and muck up the prices. And like, is it a black Prism? Is it a super refractor? Are we going to red refractor or a gold Prism? Like it would just, I feel like it would oversaturate an already oversaturated market. So I'm like, I love Prism. I think Prism is... Obviously, I love it. Like I buy it and collect it like crazy. But like I think Topps Chrome is a very comparable property. I don't think Topps has that super elevated property like NT or Flawless. But then to them, I would just say go buy Upper Deck and get Exquisite. Exquisite's better anyway. I NT has been the the sort of brand reputation of NT has been so mucked up by these number eighty eight non worn jerseys that like Claire I. Warren. I won't even like, I won't even touch NT. I won't touch NT. Like it's crazy. Like the fact that a Justin Herbert one of one shield card with the and the shield is not even player worn, and that's going for like one point eight million dollars is like an absolute joke to me. That let me that might be the worst trading card purchase of all time. Like I will take the black prism one of one over that card ten days out of ten. Like totally I will. 
Um, and so I don't think that Panini's or uh, rather Fnatic stands to gain too much. If they were to do anything, I would say maybe there's a play moving up the licenses still, but I don't think they should buy Panini. And also the weird thing about acquiring Panini is you get this whole sticker business too, which like, I don't think people realize how massive the Panini sticker business is like, yeah. and the, and the sort of brand reputation and equity that they have. It's like, it's almost like when you say like, Oh, give me a Kleenex or like, give me a Frisbee. Like these are like brand names. Um, it's like, in other countries, it's like, oh, like I need to go get like my paninis. It's not even like go get my stickers. It's like it's the brand reputation that they've built up is like incredible. And that is a nine figure a year business. People do not know that that is a nine figure a year business. And so like I don't think like Fanatics really wants to be involved in trying to manage that. So even if anything, I would say like if they were going to buy it, they should probably only spin off the like the card, the trading card company and let the let the um, sticker properties stay under like the Panini Italy management or whatever. But yeah. even now, I'm just like, look, if anything, the only thing you should think about doing is, is moving those licenses forward, um, which yeah, I think would be, which, which would be subject to league approval, but would be absolutely no problem. Um, but then other than that, I would like, I would, if I was them, I would go buy Upper Deck and then I would probably go buy, if you're going to make me buy a grading company, I'd probably just based on how expensive certain properties are going to be, I'd probably go get CGC or SGC. CGC seems the most ripe to to sell. Max, what what are your thoughts though before before I ask about uh what whatever I'm, I had a question that I forgot, so I just want to hear you. We're deep in this, Max. What's up? I think it's fun talking about. Are we live? Yeah, you're good. Okay, you're good. I've had another internet fiasco again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's fun talking about shopping sprees. Um, I'm surprised Beckett hasn't. Oh, I thought we lost Eric for a moment. I'm surprised Beckett hasn't sold yet, as that seems the one most relevant to modern cards. SGC has the massive vintage reputation, while Beckett is very clearly in shambles, as I've talked to Tommy about waiting in there. Three yeah, Beckett's line takes three hours, and I'm sitting there, you know, biding my time while I heard the <laughs> SA line is giving out free hobby boxes to people that were sitting their lines after the show closed. Jesus. Which That's company crazy. do you rather deal with? But yeah, I love war. I think it's fun to follow. Um, collector <laughs> versus fanatics. It's going to be fun to duke it out. It's always crazy to me when they do some minor partnerships because they're like supposed to be big enemies. Yeah. But yeah, if I'm on a shopping spree and I'm buying 2014 World Cup Cold Prisms, I'm also buying Beckett before I buy SGC. I do like well, the exquisite purpose. Yeah, I, I, I get I get that. I wonder too though if like it's weird for fanatics to acquire a company that has these other non-trading card properties. Like CGC has comics and video games, and like does fanatics really want to get deep in that? And Beckett now has VHS, and it's like, and I, I guess you could probably spin that off relatively easily. That one's probably way less ingrained in the business than CGC's yeah. other properties. But oh, collectors bought Wada. Yeah, collectors bought collectors did buy Wada, but fanatics to this point has been like pretty exclusively cards. Um, so I'd be interested to see what they do there, but yes, to your point, I do think BGS is right for acquisition. I think that everyone like wants to see them do well. Cause like, cause this was a question that you asked that I'm now remembering I didn't answer, which is like, what did you look at when you were a kid? And I'm like, like every kid, I had the Beckett monthly subscription. I had the tough stuff magazine subscription. And so like people have great memories with Beckett and want it to do well, but they've just like operationally been an absolute disaster. Um, they have some they have some things working for them. Like the BGS 10 black label is like a real leg up on other grading companies. Um, and I, I feel like they should lean into that a little bit more. They should probably lean into PSA 10 crossovers a lot more and try and get people to just submit a thousand PSA 10s and be like, look, it's like five bucks a card unless it hits, then we charge you the normal amount, right? Like they should be doing stuff like that. Um, but yes, I do think, I do think BGS is, is 
would I would also put them among the list. I probably I probably missed them the first time around. I think that's a, I think that's a good call out. Well, we gave out some good free marketing advice here. Consulting fees would be through the roof right now. <laughs> Eric, last thing before you go, you've given us a lot of time. I appreciate that. I appreciate of course, the guys, candidness of course. throughout this whole episode. I think I think people are going to enjoy this. Um, what the fuck was this card company you were going to start? We haven't dropped any <laughs> F-bombs this whole episode. What the fuck was that? Are you allowed to talk about this? You're like, what? What were you um, doing? What, what was it going to be? What, it was, what are it, you down to talk about? It was going to be something to compete with Tops and Panini. Like I was, I, dude, I had an LOI from Floyd Mayweather's team to make cards for the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather fight, which I thought would have been like sick. Um, been sick. Yeah, I don't know. It's like there was a point where I'm like, man, I do this thing like the VC way. I'm going to get a bunch of money. I'm going to go big. It's going to be crazy. Like there was a point where I was feeling that way. And now I'm kind of like, uh, you know, I'll like put 5,000 bucks in. I'll just like make a card of like a few random people and just like, you know, see what sticks and see what doesn't and pop up a little Shopify and like do, you know, like autograph cards on demand the same way leaf does, except, you know, it won't be sticker autographs and it'll be, you know, some random fun stuff that I think could be interesting. So like, I still plan to do that. I don't know when exactly it'll roll out. It's, um, you know, I don't know if anyone in the world has posted more cards on social media than I have. Um, and I would just, part of what I would do and I feel like I would be good at is reverse engineering, making cards that would be good for social media rather than sort of like the other way around. And so it's, you know, I have a few ideas of people I want to work with and, um, talent I want to get to sign autographs and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you can be on the lookout for that. I'm not going to push that as like some crazy thing. I don't have like an enormous ambition with it. I kind of just want to make some of the cards that I feel like should be made. Um, and then we'll just, you know, see what happens from there. I like that you're horny for money. <laughs> the verbs, the verbs, man, or the adjectives, adjectives, <laughs> the verbs. Eric, uh, uh, I, me I appreciate thing. you. You got one more question? No, All not right. more question. We have to end the episode like we always do. Oh, Wait, I'm, okay. not, I'm not ready to end it yet, though. I'm not ready to no, end it. No, we're not. We're not either. We're okay. not either. Okay. We, okay. we have but one segment. We end every episode. We end every episode. I'll set this up. Well, Every before episode. we do, before we do this segment, I have like, may, and maybe you tell me yeah. if we should do it after this segment. I have like a couple questions for you guys. Oh, ask away. Yeah, let's do it. Um, well, the, I mean, the main ones you sort of like already answered before the show, which is yeah. like, I was just curious about your guys' background, what you're into, yeah. how you got into all this, the same way that you were curious about it for me. Um, and I won't make you retell those stories to people that have probably already heard them on here. Um, what I'm curious about from you guys, like, obviously you guys are deeply involved in this space. Obviously you guys are passionate about it. I think we share both those things pretty much to a T I'm curious from your guys perspective, what type of things do you think would be good to push the hobby forward? And what do you even like view that as? Because I see it, there's a lot of people that are like, Oh, we need like card prices to go up. We need like 10 X the size of the hobby. And there's other people that are like, I just want the cards to like, I want to be, I want my redemptions to like get fulfilled. I want on card autographs. I want them to be worth less. Right. So like, what do you sort of, what do you view as what pushes the hobby forward? Is there some metric you use for that? Is it number of collectors? Is it just like sort of anecdotally how much you like the product that's coming out? Is it total amount spent? Is it the high end market? Like, what do you view as maybe the metrics that really push the hobby forward? Tommy, would you like to go first or would you like me to? Um, until the it is easier for someone who's never touched a card before to pull a card in a pack and sell that card and put money in their pocket 
until it gets easier, until the steps between pulling that card and having the money in your pocket go down by about 10, like fivefold at least, um, I think we're capped at how high this can go in general. Um, so in, in that answer, you're saying like part of it is you want it to go like you want it to go up and grow. Like I, is the number of collectors a big sort of metric for you? Is it the value of cards? Um, it's less about my, like values and more about just like friction in the market of like until it's easier hmm. for people to obtain and get rid of cards. I think we're going to have issues. So like I'm not as worried about is my PSA 10 Luca prism base rookie going to go up in value and more about like, does everyone know where they can buy one and sell one and like trade one th- throw a shout out a uh, whatever very swap or whatever. But like, <laughs> just like, this, so, th- it's too hard to do it right now. It's like, totally. you have to have I'm, a certain level of knowledge. I'm, I'm with you. That is too hard to do. How much of that do you view as an education problem versus like a product problem? Is it like, Oh, we need these companies to innovate and make these like really much more intuitive products and make things much easier. Like you can scan a card and, you know, click a button and it's sold. Or is it like some, is it, is it more about education? You think it's an even split? Where do you view that? Um, I think it's, it's, I'm going to give you a bad answer, but it's just like, it's hand in hand. Like it's like, yeah if the technology is better, the education doesn't have to be as good, but like I want an educated, I think it's too hard to check eBay solds. I think that the process of getting there is too hard. So if like card ladder, I think the dream with Ludex was very much in line with this kind of like worthy tool that you can use. If you're someone just opening your first pack of cards, Mm -hmm. figure out what you have in front of you, figure out how you, where it's being sold, where, like how much you could get for it. Um, so I think money is always involved with this. It's like, you know, I think that's part of it. I think um, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of hobby shops. I think, you know, if there is more access points, um, I think they're getting there. I think Fanatics has that in line of like, we need to have more areas where people can buy cards. And, you know, I think that there needs to be a little bit more done on like what, like there needs to be more price discrepancies between products. So like a fat pack of big league shouldn't be 10 bucks. It should be two bucks. And like you should be able to buy a blaster of a big league baseball for like eight dollars yep. as opposed to twenty dollars or whatever or forty dollars at a at a baseball baseball game. Totally. Um, that's just like my first things though. I think there's a lot. I think education. I would love for TCDB to become like an actual Wikipedia of cards as opposed yeah. to just really old timey like well, Excel and, spreadsheet. and some of this like comes down to something too though like you're sort of hinting at here which is not either better you know um software from like ebay or pwcc or golden or whoever and it's not education it's um these manufacturers should make more intuitive products right like i do i'm totally with you and i've said it all the time there should be a much clearer delineation between high-end products and products that are really just meant for kids and for fun right and it's like I would tell the people at Fanatics, like run the printers on top series one and two, just like run them like crazy and whatever you want to do there, like do there. And maybe there's some cards that are high end, but they're just like super hard to hit, right? Like you can get the one of one platinum Corbin Carroll base card out of there, but like it's a one in a trillion chance, right? And so like I would say, yeah, totally like make those distinctions much more clear. There used to be the tops opening day that seems like that's the sort of big league product now, which I'm I'm with you should be like a dollar a pack, you know, at 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 retail stores, but um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like the, the like conversation around access points and hobby shops is interesting. Like I do like that there's access points at target and Walmart and things like that. But outside of that, I don't, I don't view the, like hobby shops as adding this really, really like key element to, um, to collecting and to getting people into collecting, like having come from Supreme world, for example, right. They have like, what is it now? Maybe they have like 15 stores in the world. 
right? And it's like, but every kid in the world knows how to buy that stuff. They know how to go on StockX. They know how to go on eBay. They know how to go on, um, you know, whatever website they go on or go on Supreme and buy it when it comes out. Half Heck, most of the kids that are botting that stuff and getting the stuff that flips are like 12-year-olds that know how to run these bots and run these crazy software, right? So like, I think that the argument that like kids need to have access to cards, thus hobby shops are incredibly important is one that like misses me a little bit. I recognize that there's other things that hobby shops add, but I don't know that like that's the thing. And it was one of the things that frustrated me too about people getting like, people be like, oh, like so bad that Target sold out. Like these kids don't know how to like buy, there's no cards available for a good price. Like kids don't know how to buy cars. And I was like, kids have a better chance of going on eBay and buying a box than they do on like going to target and getting their parents to take them there to buy a box. Right. So like, I don't know that access for kids is the main issue there. And I would even say that sometimes like making sure that I, and tops slash fanatics is going along these routes, like making sure the hobby shop experience is like a relatively elevated experience now. Right. And like making sure like they're open a certain number of hours and there's a certain amount of cleanliness and they have like the right POS system, like all these things to sort of modernize it. Like I think, you know, having there be some level of exclusivity, having there be some level of, you know, care for the brand and the brand identity and trying to position it kind of like a Rolex or whatever, as opposed to like, you know, some Oreo or some company that's sort of like fun and not like high end elevated, um, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think ultimately will like drive kids to want it more. Right. So I, that's like sort of, that's sort of how I view it. I know that like that sort of gets spun as like, ah, oh, like Eric wants all the hobby shops to close and everyone to lose all their money and go out of business. But like, that's, that's a more like sort of nuanced look at how I would sort of view it. But um, in general, like I totally agree with you about making all that stuff easier. And I would also add that I think a lot of it has become easier. And I think a lot of, a lot of these companies have innovated, like card ladder existing is great. eBay trying to put a lot of, you know, money and marketing and, uh, tools into cards is great. And like all these startup companies and VC money is great. And golden getting a website that gets them into the 21st century is great. And like, you know, all these, all these things and attempts at innovation are awesome. And, um, you know, I think I do think those things are headed in the right direction. I'm gonna save. I'm gonna save the the hobby shop conversation for another time, Eric. But uh, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, no, I, I don't want. I, I don't. Want, I don't want to open that whole can of worms. Yeah, I'm not gonna open it. But uh, I I don't know if the Rolex is really what I want for for tops. But Max, I want your answer. You got to answer Eric's question. Yeah, I think ironically, in that how Tommy is very collector centric and is focusing a lot on the corporate and monetization of cards and making sure that gets into the collector's hands. And maybe I'm the more evil, dirty flipper who has the <laughs> at heart, but is always in his existential crisis on how to expand that PC. I think the hobby growing, it will be best done by have more organic, whether the organic means authoritative or not is up to your perspective, mm -hmm. but more organic content driven by the collector, which ultimately will make it easier to socialize and convene with other collectors. When I was in 2019 and I was 20 and I wanted a dank Luis Severino autograph for my basement. And I figured the best way of doing that would be by buying a trading card and that re-entered my rabbit hole when I got into it as a teenager and as a kid. But when I was getting into it as an adult and I wanted more sports memorabilia just by trading cards, the perception then is why in the world would I ever tell anyone that I'm an adult into trading cards? Now, post Gary Vee, post COVID, the perception is the connotation with trading cards is hype beasts and making money and flipping and the comping lifestyle. If I think the ultimate Charizard evolution in its finished form would be 
collectors being able to convene to other collectors and it just not being this esoteric, strange hobby. I know when I've dug into collecting in the first place, I know there's a top, there's a um, hand in hand, one-to-one correlation between IQ and collectors as they see it as something that's important. They're able to hyper-focus, they're able to get it organized. And ultimately part of why all of us are on social media in the first place, maybe at least at our original genesis and not just our branding accounts, is in order to be able to talk about our collections with other people and so that other people can understand our collections, where we come from, why we collect, and our purpose. Because there's only so many people that I can talk to about my collection in real life that it has to be. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. That's So right. I think succinctly, more organic peer-to-peer collecting dialogue it leads to more growth in the hobby. And a metric for determining that is the amount of people in our space and the amount of followers that more organic content has. The more yeah. followers Eric Whiteback has, the better for the hobby. That's what Max <laughs> is saying. Precisely. Well, Precisely. maybe we need a uh, maybe we need Ruben to buy Twitter uh, to create that space. But well, the I'm one the sure. one like last sort of follow up yeah. question I have for you yeah. guys as it relates to this, and then we can do your closing segment here, which I'm excited to see what it is. Yeah, is, is like because I don't. Um, so many of my conversations with people that have any critique or any idea are like these short form written things. And it's just like, it's hard to really express, you know, nuanced opinions and even tone and stuff over, over text only. Right. So like being here with you guys is like super cool for me. Cause I'm like, I get two guys that are super involved in this, that are super smart, that know what they're doing, that are, uh, you know, care deeply about the industry and are totally on top of what's going on. Like, I can just like ask them what they think I should be doing better and how I can improve. And like, if you were in my shoes, like what things would you want? What things are you like? Oh, like I wish he would do that to help like push the hobby forward. Cause like I'm all ears and I like, I think we ultimately want the same things. So like, I would love to hear from you guys. Like, what do you think I could do better? Where do you want me to, where do you want to see me do things differently? Um, uh, Max, you want to go? Yeah. You want to go first, um, or you want yeah. me to go first? The first thing that comes to I mean, really the biggest thing that comes to mind is break the fourth wall, show that you're a person, show that you are someone that wants to be in this community. And even if it's just that 1% or less of people that really, really hate you for some weird reason, I think just showing that you aren't just this corporate authoritative ex-golden employee account and that you just genuinely love collecting and that you genuinely love collecting without having to throw five emojis at it. I think will result in endearment because ultimately this is one big community and maybe this isn't the most click, you know, productive or click conductive method of that will necessarily grow the hobby, but I think it will at least grow the presence of yourself as a hobby personality and not just this big individual who is using the hobby as a vehicle. That makes sense. So what does that look like practically? Is that just like showing off PC things that I buy? Is that like, you know, getting on camera and having more long form discussions? Like practically, how does that come into play? I think that's just talking to people. I think that's just looking at someone else's collection and doing a not just, oh, sick card, but trying to immerse yourself as being one of us, you know, go to some shows, maybe. Um, I I would say my main thing. That's what I would do, because I speak off what I do. And that is my main source of for lack of a better word, branding or engagement or whatever. It's that I talk to a lot of people and it's genuine. It's not just for clicks. And I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a brand director. You do you however you want. And there is absolutely no stigma on however you do you, but 
if the even I'm just trying to think of names, if the PWCC account or the alt account was genuinely trying to talk to other collectors and not just do a algorithmic friendly picture with a appropriate hashtag and a question phrase prompt in order to get more comments, I think that's more that makes collectors and individuals feel more listened to than just speaking in a corporate echo chamber. I, that makes, that makes sense to me. And I'm like, I'm going to dig more deep on this too. Like I still want to feel like I know exactly what you mean and how to pull that off. Right. Because like, I do reply to a ton of people. Like I talk with a ton of people on Twitter. Like you are right. I don't go to a ton of shows. Like that is, that is something that I don't do. I feel like the national is really the only can't miss show of the year. And I'm like, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm just like outside of, is there anything practical outside of going to shows or like replying to people, which is like something yeah. I try to do already. Like what, what other practical yeah. application I mean, do you have for that? My pra- I mean, succinctly, I think it's just breaking the fourth wall in terms of doing, I guess my doing is interacting. I don't want to say being less of an authoritarian. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to give you how, how do, how should Eric Whiteback be Eric Whiteback? I can only speak of how Max DeMarco or how Cards Max feels enjoying other card collectors. And with the thesis ultimately being that someone someone with whatever following, having this voice or whatever, being a representation of collectors rather than using collecting as a vehicle, ultimately leads to the hobby driving. Pun intended. Yeah. I I don't think Max reads all your tweets, Eric. Um just also no one does i don't even i don't even read all my tweets no one reads reads all my tweets yeah max you tweet at the right amount of hours i love it i think i love i love hearing max's advice for you because max is not a marketing person and yeah he is is a uh as he is um yeah but i i also like i recognize too that there's some there's you are totally on point to say there is some amount of things where it's like it's okay to try to go viral there's nothing wrong with that but you also need to like simultaneously do things that are brand building too and sometimes those things are the same thing but sometimes those things are different things right sometimes it's like hey like check out this really cool card i bought i just went to my local hobby shop and got this like it's sick and i'm like i know it's not going to reach many people but it's like brand building and telling people yeah Look, I'm just um, pro fun and I'm pro collecting and I'm pro hobby. I build a brand for myself as much as I can as well. And if anything, I would turn the tables back of how should I brand myself? Because you are be, the expert in this space way more than I am in terms of branding and marketing. Oh, uh, well, our group chat, the group chat that was created for this episode is not going to die out with this episode. So I, I definitely have some some questions for Eric in the long run, but yeah. um I'm always a fan of elevating the voices that you think are should be elevated. So, you know, if there's certain accounts or people out there that you think it's good for the health and long-term longevity of the hobby, if they have more people reaching their, uh, the, you know, more people reaching their content or their opinions and thoughts, um, just maybe do that 5% more. Now I'm not saying make that all your stuff, but like let, I know that you do in some capacity, but just like letting these people know more about, who they should be listening to or like where to go for information. Um, I know I'm sure you do that in some capacity, but I think, you know, like when you do your tweets about this card is, you know, this person's card has sold for more than this person's card. Maybe talk about, maybe throw in every so once in a while, a tweet, another extra tweet about, Hey, this would be the most valuable card of this person if it were sold, but it never sells because no one wants to give it up that sort of stuff. I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot 
unsaid from the sales data. There's more that is said from what is not there than what is there of like, oh shit, this cart has never sold like, or hasn't sold in two decades or yeah, because it hasn't sold, you know, like I I know there's a lot of like Roberto Clemente cards out there that are like, could be worth more than anything Mm -hmm. that has been sold, but they just don't sell. And I think that sort of information and the stories behind these cards that never sell is often much more interesting than the ones that have sold. Yeah, definitely. No, I get that. I, I probably should cover more like what would a BGS 10 black label Griffey 89 upper deck do, right? Like that's an interesting card to talk about or um, yeah. I mean, even like what would, what would the green Jordan PMG do right now? What, what is the, what are these? I think there's probably 10 LeBron cards better than his uh, RPA to 99 and even maybe better than the one to 23. Right. I, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot to dig in there. I, I totally get that. Yeah. And I, I, um, I need I, I should probably lock in on like who are the five or ten hobby voices that I really deeply think should have more audience. And I think one of the funny things was like to Max's point and your point earlier is like some of the people that I would have elevated were the people that are like saying really mean and nasty things about me. And I'm like, uh, catch yeah. 20. It's like a weird position for yeah. me. Like, I'm not sure what to do, but it's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, I there's there's definitely people I, I could name that should have a bigger voice. You guys among them. I think like Paul Lesko makes a ton of th- sense. I think, I, um, I think um, Susan Sue's makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm like, yeah. I shouldn't even try to list everyone that's on my mind. Cause I'm just going yeah, to forget a bunch of people, but, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And um, there's probably things that I can do to like elevate their voices and more. I know with Paul in the past, I've done a few things where I'm like, Hey, look, like anything comes up, let me know. And then like, I'll tweet it. And then I'll bullet, I'll like in the threaded tweet, I'll push everyone to you and say like, for the full story, go to Paul. Right. So I, I'm with you. I think more stuff like that could be good. Cool. And now two hours in <laughs> last eBay buys. This is the, epi- this is the part of the episode, Eric, where we Ooh, talk about great. Where's my phone? Two to three sometimes max goes on a little longer top maybe talks about some pwcc auction buys if we really are pushing it for time but you said Um, i can't talk video games i think my last three buys are video games i'll give you one video game and the rest have to be cards Uh, max you want to you want to show us how it's done here yeah so just like my real life buying and not my ebay buying i've been buying a lot of shohei otani and i've been buying a lot of paolo and chet um Two of my most recent eBay buys were Bowman's best Shohei Otani's. One was a purple out of 250, and one was a blue out of 150. Both are PSA 9s. I'm going to be a degenerate and try to crack both of them because it's pro fun, and I'm hoping mm-hmm. for the best on that. One of them was made with a best offer, and it was automatically paid for upon the acceptance mm-hmm. of the offer, which was really nice. And then the seller, I also talked back and forth about whether a blue is more valuable than a green. And I took the position that blues are more valuable. Um, the One of the other ones was a Shet Holgram ticket stub auto at a seven. I bought the variation, which is now uh, horizontal, is horizontal one. Yeah, It's horizontal this year and not the vertical. Um, I was trying to buy the vertical and have the pair, but the vertical did double the price of the horizontal. And I did not like that. And then I guess the last one I'll highlight is that I bought a second Josh Giddy downtown rookie. I like him a lot. Most of these are just for the greedy flipping financial grading point of mind. Um, almost every single one of these Giddy downtowns are showed by China. And if they stop getting relisted, it's because I bought it. And that's a lot of fun. Shilled by China. 
I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Max, the Godspeed with your modern basketball pursuits. Yeah, I'm going to get twice. As always. As always. Um, I feel like we got to end with Eric, so I'll just go. Um, I got, <laughs> I had a, a 2014 Tops Black out of 63 Buster Posey come up. It was a $20 starting auction, which means that this person doesn't know how eBay works if they're starting auction. Like that. <laughs> uh, paper out of 63, one out of 63. Um, had like four exclamation marks in the title too. Gotta love it. Um, it had a best offer with the auction. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going to throw him an offer, see if he accepts. Threw him an offer of $40, which is pretty high. I mean, I was paying strong for these. Any Buster Black Flagship, I'm paying pretty strong yeah, on. Those are cool. I like uh, Black Flagship cards. Yeah, the continuity, it's there um so i got that one uh i've been trying to scoop up he accepted he accepted yeah sorry spoiler alert um he accepted my (laughs) offer it was the first day of the auction too so this dude clearly needed some cash so (laughs) mad respect i'm glad i could give it to him and i'm glad i'm getting the card um been just like watching a lot of 2023 tops chrome of the guys that i want for gold cups max like steven kwan julio bobby witt those guys just seeing what they sell for I did end up ex- kind of not accidentally, but just bought a out of 99 Aqua Refractor, Stephen Kwan for $4 shipped. Um, <laughs> the Aqua Refractors are looking pretty nice this year. Um, so I'm probably going to try to scoop up maybe the Julio because it really looks similar to the jersey he's wearing in the non traditional parallel. Non traditional parallel, which is pretty rare. Speaking of another non traditional parallel, Max, or becoming traditional, who knows? Um, I bought a 28. I want to hear Max, your thoughts on the price that I got this card at. Cause I don't know. I want to hear what you think. Um, and I don't know if Eric's going to know the, the well, how, how about we do this? Cards. How about we, how about we say, you say what the card is, Max gives a price and I'll guess higher or lower. Okay. All right, I like that. I like that. Uh, 2018 tops and I'll show the camera this card too. 2018 tops. So we're thinking show a Otani design, uh, rookie design. We got a Cody Bellinger mother's day non second year gold cup future stars out of 50 this was a buy it now um out of 50 i'll give you the context that the chris bryant of the same parallel for the same year second year from 2016 pink sold for 46.69 30 minutes before i'd been this card 46.69 for chris bryant of the same type of card yeah that doesn't change it i'm i'm gonna be 35 dollars I think based on you smashing the bin, you probably paid a little less than that. Yeah, I paid. 30, I think it's worth thirty-five, and that's that would be my price. But knowing Tommy, he goes for the buy at ten dollars for a card that's thirty-five dollars of coolness. That's my game. That's my game. Uh, so, Eighteen ninety-seven. So not bad. Ooh. Not bad. Um, I feel very good about that. Um, I would too. Yeah, I'm feeling good. So that's going to go in the binder. It'll be good. And now, finally, to close us off, Eric. What are your recent email? Okay, let's see if I want to go to start with a video game. I mean, like, I'm just going to say, like, my last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven were video games. And then it goes a couple cards in a row. Um, 2010 Bowman Chrome, Aroldis Chapman first, orange, true orange to 25. Um, raw, but well centered. Um, looks pretty clean. Back centering is not great, but front centering is pretty nice. And I've gotten away with murder on back centering and gotten tens before. So first with um, the Reds or first with Cuba? It's with the Reds. Okay. So I, I, have- I can I I can show. Uh, it's kind of like you got it there. Oh, yeah, that, that I one, have the yeah. base of that in a PSA ten, and I yep. got it myself. So 
I put in what I thought was a relatively low ball bid and I want it for even a little less. I got that one for $71 and 75 cents. That's not bad at all. Potential hall of famer. Yeah. I just, there's a few baseball guys where I just like have safe searches and I can just like read you off a few of them where I'm just like, man, I just feel like these guys are kind of underpriced and if cool stuff comes up, I'll just bid at auction and see what I hit. But it's like a role Chapman, Hunter Pence, Verlander, Lincecum, Kershaw, guys like that. Um, so, you know, high peaks, big high peaks, maybe. Yeah. And it's, it's guys like early 2000s guys, too, that I just am like, I think are cool. Um, so I, I got that and I'll definitely grade it. I just got it in today. It's probably an if you made me guess, I'd say it's probably a nine. Um, then I bought that 2014 Prism World Cup gold Shabby Alonso that I just mentioned. It came in today in the eBay authenticity guaranteed and it was like out of the card saver like totally and it was like a huge ding in the edge and i'm like dude come on like i just paid you know i paid over a thousand bucks for this card and uh it's like it's not going to get higher than the eight and it might get lower yeah. but but like there there it sort of is but it's I mean, for the set it's for the yeah, set. It's, it's for the set so it's okay but i'm like thinking about writing ebay a message and just being like i'm keeping this card but like can you give me like help me out here yeah um, come on and just see what they say um i have a bunch of cards for giveaways and let's see. has bullet auto giveaway Eric, <laughs> real quick you yep. gotta address that one what, what's going what i don't even know i just someone told me to ask you about someone that. told you to ask that so yeah the story is the hasbro auto got announced right and i'm like yeah. I, before the product came out i'm like I'll, i'm gonna give one of these away like this tweet and you'll be entered and uh then the product came out and like a couple were selling like a thousand bucks. I'm like, this is stupid. These are not going to, these are not going to last. Like they're not going to last. So I'm just like, I'm going to wait like a few weeks and let the price come down and then I'll buy one and give it away. Um, and then I made a safe search and like none came up and none came up and none came up. And then I just bid like, I think there was, there was one that's with like 375 or like 400 that I missed. <clears throat> and then like one just came up and I bid 510 bucks on it and I lost it. And I'm like, what? So like, yeah, people are like, you don't do like, you know, I've fulfilled every giveaway ever. There's one outstanding giveaway that I still need to buy the card for. And it's like, I've admitted, this is one where people have gotten mad at me and I've admitted, okay, I had this idea. I thought it would work. Okay. I probably shouldn't give a card away before the product releases. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is another example to your point earlier. Like, so people, people got mad about it. I've changed my mind. I was wrong. It was an idea I had. I think in theory, it was not a terrible idea, but in it's practice, in practice, like if something's just more rare and expensive than what you're anticipating, then it can be hard to fulfill it. So I'm still like, I have my safe search for it. I'm going to buy one. I just am going to fulfill it. It'll just be my longest lasting giveaway ever. And um, yeah. yeah, you know, people, people, people are upset by it. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the that's the answer to your Hasbro question. Hasbro is not in my last three, but I, I just lost one that I put a too high of a bid in on anyway good good um, lesson to learn though i, I appreciate it. i appreciate that uh all right what, what you got to give one video game too so whatever whatever card oh, let me let me show this one too this is like i was so stoked on this card seven dollars and 62 cents i like i think i bid like am i am i frozen oh there i am uh yeah. I, I bought i got this for seven dollars 62 cents i think i bid like 500 bucks on it um because i'm just like i'm not losing it um it's it's the dave blaney ollie's bargain outlet uh, it's like the fire suit my dad did. It's a signed card numbered to 10. And I was just like, oh, yes, fire. I've been looking for these for so long. Um, that's fine. Video, video game. 
my most couple my couple most recent video games, a couple sealed roller coaster tycoons, a couple random GameCube titles, a couple modern warfares, um, FIFA 06 for Xbox, because I'm just trying to do like a complete FIFA run. Those are way harder to find than you think. Um, and yeah, I bet if we talked for like three minutes about video games, which we will do another time, I bet I could totally convince you that video games are like a sick collectible category and and one that you should be thinking about. If I oh, want to buy, some, you don't need to convince us. No, but if you okay, speaking totally, just not asking for a friend or anything. If I want to buy some sealed Halo games and I want to get them encapsulated, how much can I trust eBay traditional auctions? And then where do I send them at what level? Um, so you'll definitely want to like look pretty closely at the pictures on eBay auctions. A um, mm -hmm. couple of things you're going to want to look out for, like the very obvious things is like holes or rips in the seal. Like you'll want to see a front and back photo of the game. Um, and for Xbox, you'll want to see that security seal on the side. Um, after those things, there's like not many fakes. There's not many reseals. I mean, like, and I, I think if you get one shipped to you, you'll probably recognize it because most of the fakes aren't that good. Um, of all the video games I've ever bought, I think I've had like, maybe three reseals and one outright fake. Um, and so I've probably bought like two or 300. So in general, it's it's not that common that that's what you're getting. Um, depending on how expensive the game you buy is would determine on what service level you should use. I've typically used WADA to grade video games. Um, it's going to be 50 bucks at the lowest service level. They've occasionally done like discounts to like 40 bucks or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you can, I, I pretty much exclusively buy raw off eBay, get the games in hand, um, clean them up with like a little all purpose cleaner, maybe get some goo gone, remove some stickers and some security labels, and then, um, you know, pop them in a protective case and ship them off to WADA. Does anyone care about complete in box? Yes. That is actually like one of the hottest markets right now. Funny enough. Um, okay. it's particularly than sealed. It's, 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 it's prices. It's it doesn't sell for more than sealed, but its prices have like held up better and done better than sealed recently. If that makes sense, like relatively speaking. Um, titles like it's cool. Yeah, I mean, like I, you're not going to want to go and get like, I don't know, like Burnout for GameCube and like a CIB. Like that's going to be stupid. This game's like, I don't know, maybe 150 bucks as it is sealed in decent condition. <laughs> um, but like, if you're going and getting Black Box NES games, any of the Super Mario Bros. titles, any stuff like that, like totally, there's a there's a big CIB market there. There's going to be CIB for pretty much every major cardboard box title. There will be like a pretty hot CIB market. Noted. That's good to know. Cool. This was fun. Eric, thanks for coming on. Uh, I would love to do part two again in the future at some point, but we just spent two hours and 10 minutes talking to each other. We get along. We're all friends here. Totally. We're going to be friends on the timeline. We're yep. going to still poke fun at each other when you best you better is... you better keep poking fun if you guys oh. like just pull all punches i'm gonna be like these guys are fake yeah the <laughs> uh, you know the timeline there's there's some rules on the timeline but there aren't a there aren't a ton of rules so if we if we come around with some good natured chirps i hope you good natured chirp is back beautiful um, you can count on it i just appreciate it i think people are gonna really enjoy this one um, yeah I, i'll never have to worry about getting blocked you don't have you. No matter what you say, you don't have to worry about that. Unless you start like doxing my personal address or something, I think I think we're going to be okay. I haven't had that happen yet, but I shouldn't say that because now someone's gonna yeah, be you're yeah. doxing yourself right now. Um, yeah, but guys, I'll just say to you, look, this was this was totally a, totally a blast. I appreciate you having me. You guys are doing a great job at what you do. I think um, I said this before you guys went live, but like fifty nine podcast episodes in and, of, in and of itself is like a pretty big accomplishment. I know how hard doing content is. I know how much work it is. Um, 
I feel like I'm often overwhelmed by the amount of work of short form content, but I know long form content is like significantly more work. So I would just say to you guys, like, this was a blast. You guys are, you guys are cool. You guys are fun. You guys keep it real. You guys do a great job of what you do and, um, keep it up. And, uh, yeah, this was, this was just, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like keeping this conversation rolling. I'm sure we'll have the, the group text now. I'm not sure which of you in the group text is Tommy and which one's Max. I forget, like I didn't save either your numbers. So let me know after this, but then like, yeah, yeah we should just, we should just stay in touch and, and stay on top of things together. This is fun. 100%. Max, you always have the last word. This I am not hobby genius. You are not hobby Jesus.